everyone. Welcome to the 22nd BS session that we call <laughs> Carpets and Coffee. <laughs> yes. We've been doing this for 22 weeks. This is the 22nd wow. time we've done this. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Sip on that one a little bit. That's so, right. uh, but yeah, a lot's changed. Well, and don't forget, Lucas, I think we skipped like a week or two in there. Like uh-huh. There was one or two where we like took a week off in between because like scheduling. So, I mean, that's easily six months. Shit, man. I'm trying to do the math. That's a long time. Hey, it's fun. I'm having a great think time. Of, <laughs> think about doing that for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is the more we talk about it, like, you know how computers and your phones, they hear all that stuff and they send you all the targeted ads. Yeah. I've been getting all sorts of targeted ads for how to monetize your podcast, how, you know, how to take your YouTube oh, channel, really? like gold and silver. And I'm like, what? they know. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I got this weird email, right? It's uh, hold on. I'm going to pull it up so I can read it. So it says something like, um, hello, Morelia Python Radio Network. I was just wondering if you received the email I sent to you, and I was looking forward to hearing from you. Um, we Recently, I came across a recent episode of Carpets and Coffee, and I wanted to reach out. And, you know, they said, uh, I'm a founder of Podsite or whatever. And it's just like these these ads, like... We built you a website. We built you this. We can monetize your podcast. We can do, and it's like, oh my god, like what the well, hell is going on here? Yeah, somebody's listening. <laughs> They're listening. Yeah, yeah. One of these days, I imagine. So, you know, the more I see the ads and look into it, there are people who make money off of just literally doing their show because people tack on ads at the beginning or after of the video and the audio and it just gets picked up. And I think it's just a matter of time before somebody realizes like, Hey, there's a huge reptile community out there. This has been going for a long time and they, you know, jump on it. So just waiting, Mm. but yeah, you also have to sift through the BS, you know, like some of it's, yeah, Sounds man, that's shady, what makes me nervous. Scammy, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. taking the rights to your show. Like you, we all know how show business is. Like you know, you could have your stuff taken from you, and you didn't even you signed it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no kidding, man. We need but, a contract lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> we need a studio surrounded by a moat with saltwater crocodiles. Oh, Those brave sweet. enough to enter and survive uh, may pitch their proposal <laughs> <laughs> and then go. they have to fight to leave kiss mm. the ring <laughs> it'll be it'll be That's like what... i've been watching too much vikings i'm sorry <laughs> moth <laughs> uh, so tis the time of year huh i mean as stuff is hatching out you guys have stuff breeding all the time i can't even keep up with the chat anymore i'm just you know <laughs> um but yeah, yeah. have you had had stuff at you out yet or no yeah the yeah. the oh the ijs right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah those now they guys hatched out they're nice. doing good i'm waiting for them to start shutting out there's two females that are like sitting on the edge of their waters like chondros and every time i open there's like wow <laughs> they're like yeah. one of them actually like grabbed me and tried to eat my finger when like when i was oh, changing really? waters i was like you are staying 
I so, only have most makes, so nothing has even laid eggs here yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting on eggs from the diamond, but stuff is looking good. Looking yeah, good. and Lucas is sitting on pump. potentially three gravid Bradley. I don't want to get my hopes up, but they, I mean, <sighs> they're dark, they're thick, and they're not eating. So, are they staying completely stationary, or do they move around at all? Very little movement mm -hmm. mostly stationary um because my female this morning woke up and she decided she was not going to be in a tight coil she's going to sprawl and then she went for a swim which was weird <laughs> and now she's just sprawled again but she's i guess she's thick yeah it's it's interesting though and and I've, i'm still combating and pairing every you know few days and i, I haven't seen locks in a while the males seem a little bit more disinterested than when i was getting pretty good consistent locks uh mm. about a couple weeks ago or something so mm -hmm. i don't know it's all either really good signs or really bad signs and i i honestly have very little hope i will have success with my bradley this year mm. i don't think i got them cool enough i just don't think they were stimulated enough as a result of that and they've just kind of been half-assing the whole thing so mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's my first my first rodeo, but that's that's what you hear. It's just it's all about yeah. that cool down. Yeah, um, until I can get into a house or a bigger space or something that I have an area that dips cold enough, mm -hmm. you know, I yeah. don't think I'll have much success with them. Right, and and that's the one thing that that I really focused in on with this is like I wanted to know that if I didn't produce it wasn't because I didn't get them cold enough because like mm -hmm. I picked my stuff into the 40s a few times yeah you did it's because I knew that they could handle it and I didn't want that question mark let everything else be a question mark you know but at least check that box um it was interesting I I was only getting locks from that one pair of the hypo head stripes for a while but then I I fed just honestly giant rats like <laughs> extra <laughs> big large rats and the three took um and the one that i had been seeing locks from was already off food at that point that one didn't take but after those that super big meal the other two pairs um started locking up like the next day after mm. they had the meal in them which, which was really interesting um that that was on uh the 30th of april that i did that so I don't know. It seems to change things for for those other girls that were kind of not really in it yet, and cool. and you know, for the one of the double head pairs after that, they locked up for like three days straight, and now that snake is super dark and off food and looking hmm. really hot. So I don't know. Just something to to note in the back of my head for next year. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. It's weird trying to pair <clears throat> snakes in May. I know. I keep thinking that I probably missed it, but then I'm like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, <laughs> it's so counterintuitive. Like yeah. everything about it feels so wrong. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And I cannot wait to clean that damn cage. I oh. think just because things do seem a little bit more promising, and and you know maybe at least one of the three will drop eggs. I did uh, set up egg boxes and fire up that incubator that I've had sitting here for a few months. And I put one of those Good plan. <laughs> yeah, I put one of those like, Govi, uh, temperature, humidity recorders in there. It's like okay. on, but there's an app on the phone where you can see like really detailed data. It's pretty yeah. cool, but uh, yeah, I've started just tracking the conditions inside my egg box to make sure everything 
is the way I would want it to be once it actually counts. And uh, so far, pretty good. I, I have like a really tight temperature spread and the humidity sticking around 94, 95% without nice. having condensation. So I don't know. I'm, I'm having a great time just getting ready. For it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. It's cool studying the uh, the data and, and like dialing in something and watching the day to day fluctuations or lack thereof. It's my first time using a vivarium electronics thermostat too, just because that's what came with with the box. Mm-hmm. But that, with that stat, I can't set a temperature to a decimal place. It's like right. either 88, 87, 89. Like I can't find yeah. it. So I'm excited yeah. to swap it with a herb stat and see if it actually keeps the temperature in a tighter spread because i have mm. the data now um, like how different are they really um, right i don't know i'm definitely going to mess around with that before eggs on the ground too <laughs> heck yeah. yeah heck yeah yeah get Worth warmed up for when you're doing aspidite clutches yeah, get I data know. for that <laughs> gary i finally got to see those blackhead eggs in person yesterday because i was i was helping out at gx3 uh-huh. um, at riley's shop uh-huh. and that was cool. They're way bigger than I thought they were. <laughs> yes, they, sure. They're like fucking. Yeah. Big. I was like, holy crap. Yeah, they're wow. Big. They're big eggs. They were large. Um, one looks great. One looks great. Minus five. And one looks okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in my opinion, those two will for sure hatch. And that, that last one toss up. I hope so. Day 46 today. Yeah. They don't have okay. to much longer. <laughs> yeah. And the Womas are, I think, only a few days behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that first clutch was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hopefully, have- uh, hopefully Grant salvaged them. They dried up a little bit. He, his, his method of keeping them on the polyfill over the, the wet coconut husk works so well. The eggs were like, too dry too dry yeah <laughs> oh son of a bitch yeah so wow. um he, he put a little bit of a wet paper towel over them added some moisture so they should fill back out but they are also well beyond the 50 percent timeline mark so it's like you know they could still you know go the distance no problem so yeah. i was standing with him when he when he popped it open it looked like only a few of them had had really desiccated to the point of like concern some were still mm-hmm. on the bottom Cool. So, Brett, if you're listening, don't freak out. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> still, um, <laughs> yeah. There's still plenty left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. And we've, we've been pairing the water monitors again. Mm-hmm. So, Rudy's probably going to drop another clutch in a month. We already have 31 black dragon eggs on the ground. It's like, dude. I was looking at your incubators Holy and shit. what Grant was was taking me through things. He was like, there's an ovulation. There's an ovulation. Like, all yeah. your ones are about to pop too I'm like, yes yes all of these things we are oh and we're also like two weeks away from getting our two blood python clutches for the season that we're aiming for we are expecting two more boa litters um wow t- uh one two three five maybe six actually maybe seven uh various tegu females could be breeding for us this spring and flood the market <laughs> well florida can't do it anymore so we tapped in in fact oh, there you go when uh when the when the news of the ban and an old permit system and everything was going through and and people were were starting to get rid of their 
or less than their tegu projects in florida uh we bought 2.4 adult red tegus from thai park um oh okay all proven breeders like They're gorgeous i love the way you guys are keeping them too that was the first time i'd seen that that setup it's so nice being able to keep them outside um if you don't mind the fact that they hate you <laughs> it's just okay. how it goes you put tegus yeah. outside they turn back into wild freaking animals dude you gotta watch really? your damn you gotta watch your toes you gotta watch your fingers nobody steps in there without closed-toed shoes on and even then they better be like leather serious boots wow yeah these animals like if if you corner them and they're running away and they feel like they've got to get you dude they're serious they're like little crocodiles holy shit wow that's crazy <laughs> yeah, so chill, like captive born in the ca captivity, yep. right? You yeah. bring them inside too, they change. Something about the being outside, the open ceiling, the I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but they flip a script <laughs> going outside. It's like that uh it's like that Joe Rogan bit where he was talking about the cat and it's oh, like yes. sitting at the window. <laughs> it's looking out the window and a squirrel's like running up the tree and it's like <laughs> I remember. <laughs> <laughs> this cat thousands of years from Tibet from its wild ancestors and all of a sudden I remember <laughs> yes. how the old people did it <laughs> like doing all and the impressions <laughs> yeah he's like <laughs> like making all those noises that they make and shit dude my cat saw a fucking crow for the first time the other day and he's sitting at the door he's like when they make sounds that aren't meow because those sounds are just insane <laughs> oh dude they're the best when i had a so short sidetrack story i used to have a bangle and a savannah do you guys know what those are nice yes yeah yeah so for our listeners who don't know a bangle is a, a hybrid of a domestic house cat crossed with uh an Asian leopard, which is a small species of Asian leopard. Uh, savannas are a house cat mixed with an African serval, which is like a smaller cheetah. Um, I had one of each um, for several years living in a loft in an apartment. What was that? How big was the Savannah cat? Those get huge. They do get huge. Um, and he was, he was an F2. So he had a lot of uh, serval blood in him, but unfortunately he had uh, a really bad parasite issue and worms that we didn't catch. So he never got big and he died at three of, uh, of FIP oh. actually got a tattoo for him. Um, but one night they woke me up at three in the morning cause a raccoon walked up the stairs to our sliding door in this balcony. And they're both like the wildcat came out of them. They're just like, we're going <laughs> to gang up on this damn raccoon. Forget He's it. lucky this door is there. Cause we would we would smoke them and eat them right now but they're like making all this noise and just going crazy and they won't shut up and i get up and i was like guys go to bed and they both flipped and turned on me and i got freaking mauled in the middle of the night to the point where oh my, my roommate woke up flipped the lights on and came out and he saw me lying in the fetal position like covered in blood just oh like <laughs> Dude, I had puncture wounds in the top of my head. I had a hole through my finger from one of them, and I had like scratches all over me and my face. Dude, I got oh, God, I got beat up pretty good. So like, they're no joke. Quite domesticated. No, nothing domestic <laughs> yeah. about them. 
Wow. Nothing. Yeah. There was nothing domestic about them. They'd hop in the damn shower with me. They'd balance on two inches of a door frame. You know, they'd like climb up everything. Like one of them pulled a snake tub out one time when I was gone skating. I was like, you bastards are gone. Jesus. So, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. When I was little, my, my dream mammal assembly was going to be a Savannah cat and a Husky, but not- <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the worst ideas okay. right there. Oh I my god! A little, I got the husky. We ditched the cat. We're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny because when I was in college in Santa Barbara, no less, where it's like never cold, that was like the thing. All the dumb, dumb sorority girls and soror- uh, fraternity guys would do is get freaking huskies by the beach. I'm like, you guys are oh. monstrous. Those dogs hate you. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, got to be in the right situation for them. Yeah. So. Um, Summer was asking if we were going to be at the, well, I don't know if it was meant towards us or the people in the group or probably a mix of anybody, but what is Schamburg? I guess that's the Tinley replacement. Oh, interesting. I will not be. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know anything about it. Hmm. All I, um, so my show. Oh, it's in Illinois, so it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My my show replacement updates are referring to what's out here is that uh, Pomona, the summer Pomona show got pushed back to the second weekend of September. Okay. So um, I think they're still doing it in Anaheim, actually. So it's still on. It's just pushed back. So that'll be happening. Yeah, it's okay. June 19th so and some. 20th. Wow. All right. Okay. Interesting. Illinois, you said? Illinois. Yeah. Hmm. We're going to have to look into that. Yeah. Road trip. Um, yeah. And then the SAC show is the fourth weekend. So, like, the weekend of, like, the 24th and 25th at, at Cal Expo, and that's a big one, too. So I'll go to that. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Pennsylvania's been going to shows since. Yeah, you guys have been having them. That's March or. Damn, y'all never stop. <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah. I I did go to a show a couple weeks ago, the first one out here for a while, and it was small, but it was you know it was refreshing. It was nice to get out. Yeah. My thing is herping. I'm uh what a month away from Texas. Oh man. Oh, that's yeah. right. Y'all are going yeah. out to Texas. That's the trip you're going with Keith, right? No, Keith's not going on no. that. Actually, oh, okay. he's actually, there right now. Yeah, he's going this Friday, I think. It's him oh, and good for him. Matt and uh who else? Um uh Nick Scally, I think uh Lon is going. Oh, I wow. say Justin is gonna be out there. Good group. I think they're going to Utah. Utah. Sick. I think Rob Christian is going. <clears throat> I just couldn't get off work for another trip. We already had trips kind of booked. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that with that work life, that nine to five. I haven't had like a vacation. I know it seems like I'm off all the time, but like I'm not, I'm usually it's a family issue, you know? So it's like, it's not a vacation, you know, but I did see some gators and I found out that I'm a turtle whisperer when I was in Florida. (laughs) Um, I would just walk out and have my coffee and I was doing like, um, uh, you know, Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura, like, you know, come to me turtles. And they would all just come up onto the bank 
because they were getting uh they thought they were getting fed i guess you know that's but, funny nice uh, <laughs> next edition in eric's cool room is going to be uh, an aquarium and he's going to look around for some australian species of freshwater turtle <laughs> no you know what i what i've recently got the bug for is um uh plants right because i was i'm oh, like wow. sort of like redoing my um my back deck and my back area and all right so we're trying to find these right plants and i was like i wonder if there's australia plants that i can grow that maybe if i'm going to do more naturalistic vivariums and stuff that i can use like real australian species and stuff <clears throat> so just like just like with everything else just like with reptiles and you know you buy from the wrong people you're going to get screwed and they say it's this when it's that and da 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 da, da and like yeah. I found out my sister's like the plant whisperer because like I show her a plant. She's like, oh, yeah, that species, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how the hell? <laughs> like, what? Well, hidden talent. <laughs> like, how do you know that? She's like, like the same way that you know a snake is, you know, what species a snake is. And I'm like, huh. Fair point. Okay. So, a, so now she's going she's gonna to set you on the hunt for some good Australian natives. So I have about... I have out there right now about 20 different species of Australian plants. So, dang, you're already on it. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. So, That's cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. At UC Santa Cruz, there's an arboretum on campus, just like a really big arboretum. And they have like a giant Australia section that's just like oh. all Australian endemic plants. It's uh. really cool. There's a lot you can do. And yeah, I don't know. It seems like with plants, kind of everything's on the table. There's nothing yeah. that's like not here or something. You yeah. know, <laughs> now with with some of those those plants that you have, I am I correct in assuming some of them are probably more delicate, small leaf grasses and things like that, or or smaller things, or are any of them pretty hardy and robust, like would survive, you know, in your tanks. Your I don't know. I guess we're gonna figure that out from from what I've researched about this stuff. It's it seems like some some people use it for for like vivariums and stuff, but um, um, a lot of like different species of fern. I have like this uh, bonsai willow tree thing. That's an Australian thing. Oh, um, nice. Eucalyptus. Um, you know. Uh, kangaroo fern these different like nice. succulents that um that that are all australian that's i guess the idea is like to see how they would hold up in like a desert vivarium type of deal um and uh <laughs> what? I can't. well that was a you know <laughs> summer brings up a good point right so like for whatever reason like you know i could keep snakes alive and keep lizards alive and but for some reason, like I, I can't keep tanks alive. But like I, I was at my my parents the other day, and I, I don't know if I showed you guys this picture, but I'm gonna show it uh, real quick. Is it an updated shot of your dad's? Uh, yeah, dark did I, did I show that to you guys? No, no, no. I just oh. I've been jonesing to see. You know, every time you go to your dad's spot, dude, you got something new, something more fleshed out, more epic. Yeah, yeah, like I. I Wait, you see this, man? It's I, I can't believe like with no research, no like nothing. Just like you, just like oh, I'm gonna put together this vivarium for. Um, hold on, where is it? Okay, yeah. 
Look at that. Wow. wow. That's a jungle. Man, yeah. got a green thumb. That's beautiful. Yeah, wow. man. Those frogs, that's the frog tank? Yeah. Dude, those frogs are invisible, and they probably love it. That's yeah. cool. That's so cool. That's pretty cool, man. So I'm weed? just like, what he's like holy shit. Yeah. Now I just got to find them some frogs, because I don't know anything about frogs. I don't know who breeds frogs. And of course, like, they just think just because I, you know, I know, like, know everybody and rep. I'm like, I have no idea who frog people are. <laughs> I have no clue. I mean, like, send them to Josh's frogs. I I thought I thought that you know I was gonna I was gonna say a lot. They've been also uh, kind of tinkering with the process of captive breeding some uh, usually and often imported species, and they've kind uh -huh. of been dialing those in. So some cool stuff. They I mean they they have a wide selection. Um, but yeah, they've got good good species over there. You know, I'm sure Lucas saw yesterday, but we've got a, a bunch of different little frogs in the shop. And the more you work with them and experience them, it, it was it's, fun. It's hard not to like. I got to feed a bunch you know? of them silkworms with the tongs and Yeah, like just different animals. <laughs> you know, you step out of your reptile room and there's like a whole massive world of stuff. And yeah, like I get to tinker and experiment with a pair of monkey animals at the shop because we got some in and they're dirt cheap and their imports and nobody's really breeding them and we don't know anything about them so why not like yeah. it, you, you just kind of you get the bug when you're around it you know absolutely that tomato frog was pretty cool i liked the tomato frog <laughs> oh yeah we've been raising a few of those up and those are cool to watch go through color change you know in zoos i've typically only worked with already established adults so that's been fun mm -hmm. uh raising pixie frogs is always fun raising pac-man frogs is always fun and then we've been getting, you know, odd species like Puerto Rican crested toads and granulated toads and Asian spiny toads and just wow. weird stuff. And it's just kind of fun to, you know, for the short while until they go to somebody's home or a frog enthusiast comes in and buys the whole group. It's kind of fun to dial them in, figure out what they do and don't like to eat and what they do throughout the day, where they hide and why and kind of like right. observe and then figure out why they're doing what they're doing and yeah. adjust you know because they give you so much active and, and behavioral feedback as far as if you're keeping them wrong or right or what they're liking much more so than than our snakes and so i think that's probably why those communities of people are so dialed in is because their animals are less forgiving probably yeah you can't really screw it up you know it's kind of yeah. Like you, it's it's really hard to keep a, a dart frog in a plastic sterile box with a water bowl and a hide and and like you know right. call it a day. That's not going to work. Right. Right. So um, just a different different beasts, so to speak. Uh, yeah, waxy monkey frogs. Ian brings those up. Those are cool. Those things do like it's demonstrated. They need UVB, which is really cool and you know potentially controversial in some circles and. There's just a lot of cool stuff out there. So, yeah, when you start to look outside of your your box, you know, like you're saying, it's kind of sometimes you're amazed at what uh, what you stumble across. Just you know, I don't know, but yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So now Lucas is uh, is helping out at GX3 once or twice a week, so he's wrapped wrapped into the fold. Yes, yeah, so now I'm his manager. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! 
<laughs> you got Riley as a boss and Owen as a boss. Like, oh my goodness. Dude, you're, you're I feel for you, Lucas. Lucas. <laughs> I'm not no boss. <laughs> I'm a boss at work. I'm the, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> okay. Well, I I just Owen's drunk with power. Yeah, Owen's <laughs> on his oligarch trip lately. I like <laughs> yeah, I know. Same because it's fun to watch the burn. <laughs> Lucas started it. Uh, uh, that's why that's I have great. 2,000 points. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, no, yesterday, that was a great time. I'm, I'm excited to be helping out, and hopefully we can get some shifts together here and, and just yeah. absolutely uh, uh, burn the place to the ground. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have plenty of shifts together. Weekends are chill. Weekends yeah. are a lot, lot more low key because there's no shipments coming in of anything, and it's just I uh, stuff going. I almost got through the, uh, an entire full day first first shift without getting bit by anything, so I had to pull out, <laughs> let it have at me because that's not allowed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. Like with the variety of animals we have in the shop, it's really hard for somebody who's going to be in everything to not take a little nip here and there, like. My coworkers don't get bit very much because mm-hmm. they're doing like, you know, one reptile room or just the frog wall. Mm-hmm. I'm dude, like I'm in the back with ring pythons, womas, blackheads, dude. The bloods aren't any different. They just go from zero to punching you in the face. Um, right. what else? Our beaded lizards, you gotta watch out for them. They're slow spicy. Yeah, I stayed out of that. Yeah. <laughs> They're easy. I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to work with them very safely um, right. and effectively. It's it's much easier than you think. There's a few very strict rules that you follow, a few no nos, and and that's it. And and you can you can stay very safe with them. Aside um, from those guys, I went through that entire room, and the only thing that got close to getting me was the rings. I was I was in and out and good with everybody else. <laughs> um, some of Grant's ball pythons get a little saucy certain times of year. I noticed I've, some. I've been nailed by a few of his. Have Eric, you been- Eric's over here going, they're the worst. <laughs> Fucking ball pythons, man. I don't know, man. Everybody talks about how they're such great pets and all. I, I've been, that's the python that I've been most bit bitten by. Mm-hmm. Like all the time of getting nailed by them. And I don't know if it's because I just like, oh, it's a ball python. I just reach in and grab it. And it's like nailed. I'm like, God damn it. Dude, <laughs> I, we've got this whole clutch of babies from last season is just the devil. This one female, every time she produces babies, all her stuff is mean. Um, and and they're all eaten live at the shop. So they're just like, freaking yeah, I, they're I, all I, muscular I, and like savage about it. I would have gotten hammered if I didn't have the hook. I was definitely yeah. the hook. But oh, and don't you I'll, love how Grant's hook is like yeah, inches I, and bent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's how you know you're real good is if you can work with yeah. ring pythons. Any day over some of those ball pythons, like at least oh. those you, you, you just can maneuver the head. Now the real question for you, how was the Boland's python with you? Oh, uh, well, so Grant tossed it a rat that morning so Ah. i didn't take it out i didn't mess with it i just did the water she has become an entirely different animal as of late after this winter she came up and all of a sudden she's like i'm not a bolens python i'm a scrub python and i hate you (laughs) (laughs) dude and out you can't flip the switch i don't trust her like that yet 
Oh, wow. I take her out and like if I clean, I actually put her into a shift tub. Wow. Yeah, she will absolutely trace and track your hand if you're cleaning and she'll sit there and just she'll follow you the whole time. She'll go just like Wow. <laughs> they are like a really highland scrub. Dude, I mean, right? you know what I mean? Like, After <laughs> the first time she did that full track in me and she did the full food bite and wrap on my wrist, I was like, wow, Nick was right. Yeah. These are just dark scrubs. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They're just dark scrubs. The two times that, that you handed her over to me, she was, you know, Dude, she she changed. She changed. I don't know. After the season, she flipped a switch. She's like, I'm a badass adult Bowen's Python or sub adult. uh, Maybe it's like a springtime hunger. Time to time to bulk up. I don't know. It'll be (laughs) the first Bowen's I saw was um I was at when I was at ICAST, we had uh Josh Easter had one, and that was the very first one that I saw in person. And was holding it, and um, I would say, I want to say it was probably a sub adult. Um, but when we went to Keese last summer, I guess it was last summer we went to Keese, and we took out his his girl, and man, I, like I I don't know, <laughs> very very impressive snake, you know, yes. like just like you know, not something that. Um, trying to see if i can find a picture of like uh i mean the head of this thing was just humongous and you yeah. know it's it, it just i don't know man. once you, you just, see it in person like you see it in photos and you can tell it's got a big head but you see it in person the big head yeah. plates on top and uh, yeah man it's you're like oh, oh okay and their All labial right. pits are highlighted with that off-white cream oh, yeah. black and it's just it's so freaking sweet. pretty though yeah, they're really cool. They always look like velvety sheen. Someday. <laughs> I'm trying to see. Someday when see. the code is cracked and I can just pick up a captive hatch for 500 bucks. Do you think that the code will ever be cracked? No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I, I hope <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry, I just, my mad hogs are being freaking psychos right now. I would like to think that people will be more successful than they are now, but some things just certainly are never meant to be corn snakes and ball pythons. <laughs> I, I, I think it's best they stay that way, but yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, sh- yeah, I'll show you the picture real quick of this. Uh... You can't even really get. I mean, you can't even really see it in the. Um, Bolins are the Kribo pythons. Hmm. I don't know. I think Kribos are easier to breed. <laughs> if I can breed Kribos, look at that thing. Yeah. See, that snake is huge. Yeah, man. Badass. It's bigger than me. So it's. I. What yeah, would you say? It's probably. Ta- that thing's tail is at your shoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's doubled around your neck. I'd say that's a, an eleven foot python right there. Yeah. Super impressive, man. Yeah. Like, that's very key. impressive. That's I cannot too. wait for my Apodora to be large. Large? <laughs> large. <laughs> large. It's like, large. Large. <laughs> Dude, they grow so slow when you feed them appropriately. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, I think. Like everything almost. No, but like, it's different, man. They, that you don't you don't see their growth because it happens in length before it happens in girth. And they just, they come out of their enclosure one day and you stretch them out or straighten them out or whatever. And you're like, wait a minute, you added a foot since the last time I checked on you. What the hell? 
but you're the same thickness. Yeah. So it seems. I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, Rob says they poop like Kribos. Yeah, they, they can, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, Bolins? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They can be a little messy. They, you know, after listening to Ari talk about how it was Ari and Keith, I think, that on separate occasions talked about some nesting behavior den sites where there's always urates in front of them and like no matter how yep. you clean them they always put them there yep. i 100% see that even with one animal <laughs> yeah so. i swear i wonder if it has something to do you know again we're 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 talking all crazy stuff or whatever but like i i can't remember what i was i was watching i think i talked about this before probably on here but we we're talking about um maybe it was with Owen. i'm not sure i can't keep track anyway it was I was watching a show and it was about flamingos and they were saying about how like they have to migrate in order to breed and they go to this specific spot and da 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 da. So I'm like, what if that's the key with this species, right? You never find males, right? Nobody really finds males anywhere. You have the females that are in these nesting sites of um, what's the uh, what's the mammal? It's uh, starts with a C. Couscous. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, it's hiding in those things or different like wallaby barrows and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, they're just in there. And I don't know, does that male have to migrate in order to get to them? Does it, do they go to a lower elevation until, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's, I think it's one of the, it's, it's, it can't be just because I, I was thinking about this the other day, right? I see more and more people breeding scrub pythons. Yeah. I see more and more eggs happening with scrub pythons. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it used to be the thought was, is that, the, you know, bones and scrubs, it's just that they're not settled in, they're not comfortable. So they're not going to, you know, people like back when I was just getting into it, say like, oh, nine, oh, eight, whatever. It was like people would get this idea that they wanted to work with scrubs, including myself. And it's like you get this big group of scrub pythons and then realize it's like, oh, this is a bad idea like it's just <laughs> not smart at all and um then you just like kind of you move them on right and you reset the clock and all that stuff sure. right so they never like actually settle in except for you know guys like david means chris foley ryan young these guys mm -hmm. they kind of like when they're working with a specific locality or species or whatever they kind of like had it for a long time and they don't give up on it and they kind of stick with it. And eventually it sort of like comes around. And now you're starting to see like a lot of people that chose to work with scrub pythons are, are having success, but yet the Volans pythons still, yeah. I mean, can it be that different? Can it be, it has to be something that's not, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't Maybe know. Maybe they just I, need to be the car ride snake. Could be. I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's just or, weird that like, why wouldn't they intro, take your mail on like a half an hour lap around town? You get that in. You yeah. out the female's cage. You put them in and yeah. go, look, you're on the other side of the mountain. Yeah, there you go. You, you just migrated. <laughs> I'm making shit up because, you know, I'm such a Bowens expert. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am nowhere, near, I nowhere know. near. I, I don't know. I, I would imagine the 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 constant resetting of the clock, like you talk about, probably is the biggest deterrent for young animals or or animals that are just cycling or you know recent imports or something. My guess would be, um, you know, if if it's just come into the country or something like that and it moves around a few times, it's definitely a little jarring. But if it 
you know, if it spends five years at one person's collection and then, you know, goes somewhere else once, I, maybe then it's not as unsettling. But yeah, I do think that they, they, they need to be older. They need to be more like set into their rhythm at a location for a long period of time. I also would love to see down the line, once people have more success, if there's any sort of evidence towards, you know, more successful females producing when they're smaller, if it's a sizing, like if we're overfeeding them or if it's a captive diet thing, or mm -hmm. if maybe the folks that breed or feed more quail or bird prey have more success or something like that. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know if we'll see any evidence like that down the line, but that's something I'm going to keep an eye out for because we, we just don't know what we don't know. It seems like. Yeah. <clears throat> and again, I, I haven't, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Any I've never worked with them. I, 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 I mean I've I've worked with scrubs and whatnot, but not with um not with them. So yeah, they're different. Yeah. yeah. I know nothing, but when I see a picture like that, the first thing that comes to my head is just that snake is freaking huge. Yeah. yeah. And what do we know about huge females? <laughs> you know, and yeah. I don't know. If I was somehow to give it a try i would definitely try to keep them very trim first and and give that a good shot uh, I don't know. that's the that's the thing though with with if we were just uh, you know somebody i didn't know but with keith right i know he's feeding you know very his feeding is is like a food cycle all that stuff he doesn't overfeed right. none of that right, kind right. of stuff but that snake was just solid. Yeah, maybe she's meant to like, be that way. Like I said, you know, I I know nothing. <laughs> but I've never seen a Bolins that big, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. I would imagine that they, but it's you know, I don't know. It's like Riley said, it's hard to judge like how big a snake is when you're looking at it in a picture, as opposed mm -hmm. to when it, at least for me, when, yeah, it's, when right. it's wrapped around your neck. Then you and how big are the perspective? how big are the girls that Ari actually finds, you know, in the wild on in, in dens. I don't know the answer to that. If that, if they are that size, then everything I want to say about is, that size is out yeah. the window. <laughs> they're a good size. He's definitely yeah. finding them at a good size. It's not like what we're seeing in, in captive collections is dramatically different than what has been described. But ultimately mm -hmm. we are still discussing a species. That's like only been this closely studied for the last like 15 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. you know, you know, as Owen and I go through and do Colubrid Corner and we're doing this research and finding all these, you know, loopholes or, or gaps in the information, we're, we're constantly confronted by the fact that there's very little research about a lot of these snakes that, you know, you and I know as sort of like household names for, you know, sort of the, the fringe species of snakes, like not the mainstream stuff, but we know what they are. We see them around shows, but like, you know, in the last five years, they're, their Latin name has changed four times or something like that, you know? So, right. And that's just a rat snake. So think about a Boland's Python. That's in a, a much more remote, uh, hard to get to sort of dangerous place. Like, yeah, it's crazy how we have access to these animals in our, in our hobby, um, while we're still trying to figure out what they do in the wild. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what's actually I, I see Justin made a comment. And, I was gonna ask if we could go yeah, back. Yeah, I wanted that. to bring that up too. Because yeah, it's, it's such a good question. Back. Yeah, but it, it sort of ties into a thought that when when I was herping with Justin, we were talking about I, I, I know I've talked about this before, but we were talking about like cycling babies, right? Right. And um, you know, an interesting point that he he brought back, which this is why I love talking to Justin because it's a it's a, you know, it's like a discussion back and forth and it's making you think it's, it's Awkward. like, you know, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. So he was saying about like, well, what do we know about, you know, baby carpets in the wild? Like, are Very they little. eating constantly? Are we, are they, you know, like a lot of the studies, I guess that have been done have really been done on adults, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there thinking and I'm like, huh, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't remember really seeing a, a while, like I've since I've found like three of them since, but uh, a wild baby carpet python, um, you know, yeah. What is it doing? Where is it at? And you know, the thing with going on these trips, like going to Australia or Ari going to Papua New Guinea, is that you're only going at this window of time, so you're getting like this little tiny snapshot of what's going on. Where you know you're going there for what a week, two weeks. Yeah. You know, you know, and you're, you and and at least with Australia, it seems like we're usually going at the same time every year. So, you know, like me and Rob would often talk about like what happens during the wet season as opposed to when we're going into the buildup. What happens during the, the like the really, really dry season, you know? Um, I don't know. It's hard to right. sort of you know, I don't know. I guess the best you can do is sort of just like take the information that you get when you're there. And, yep. you know, sort of like apply it when you come back and, and, and just pay attention to the snake or to the reptile or whatever and, and try to make the best judgments based off of any kind of data you can get. But but you're absolutely right. There's like mm-hmm. very limited knowledge when it comes to especially a species like a bull and I, you know. Yeah. And when I when I read this question, like the first thing I think of is with a lot of the species that kind of folks acknowledge need to be kept more trim or are prone to obesity, et cetera, et cetera. You know, blackheads, for example, you hear a lot of people say that you don't have to worry about that until they get full size, right? It's like, go ahead and just pound them with food and then slow it down when they're older. But, but what this question is making me think of is, is that a flawed methodology? Maybe you are able to create metabolically obese animals at right. a smaller size, you know, that, that just, I mean, you can have a fat kid, right? Like right. <laughs> yeah. people, people don't just not become fat until they reach their maximum height and then they start getting fat. You can have an obese three-year-old, you know? So sure. I don't yeah. know, like in my mind, I think that you should not, I think you can feed a Python too much as a young snake as well. I, I think that that's kind of a flawed way of thinking, thinking that, just because they're young, they will put 100% of that input into growth and will store none of it until they're adults. And then they'll start storing fat. Like that's just not how metabolism works in my view. Um, uh, my knowledge set, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I definitely think you can overfeed young snakes for sure. I mean, you'll, there's like a certain threshold where you're accelerating their growth and you're just really pushing them full throttle. And then there's a, a line that you can cross where they're just like crapping out all the waste and they're over, you know, overdoing it and shedding too often and their biology is just 
running a hundred miles an hour too fast, right. you burn them out too fast. Thinking of what Dr. Loafman talked about with exactly. the change in biology, should you be pushing yeah. them full throttle, even if yeah. you can? I mean, I think some species will eat themselves to death. I think some species probably would refuse, but I mean, we all have those garbage disposal animals that would literally eat it every day if you gave it to them mm -hmm. um, to their own detriment. So I do think it's possible. Yeah, I don't really have a, a great understanding of snake metabolism, right? And I think a lot of times where I get caught up in this thought is that I sort of look at it in from the view of, you know, human being metabolism. And, you know, right. just talking with, with Dr. Loafman for that two hours that we chatted with him, Not you know, made same. me realize that it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like an alien, you know, uh, metabolism if you will but um mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it's 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 an interesting thought like um you know and also my thought would be this right uh typically at least we're talking carpet pythons right now right so um specifically for for the uh, what i'm about to say is like you know in, in the wild they're eating skinks and lizards and 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 um things like that where you know i'm sure occasionally they'll take whatever they can get you know, um, but I think I think that it's got to be. Well, I think my thought would be that if blackheads and walmas and 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 pythons that typically eat more reptilian prey, and if they eat too much mammalian prey, they they store a ton of fat and they you know they die at an early age. So why would a young snake, why would they process that any different? Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you, maybe that is the case. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I would think that, 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 that it would be different. Like they wouldn't store cause I, you know, reptiles are leaner. Well, and also don't forget in the wild, these animals have a, a season, like the, the food. Yeah the skinks are only breeding seasonally. They're only out seasonally. Same with the rodents. So you've inevitably that snake could eat as much as it damn well pleases for the season. And then it's inevitably going to have a season of, of famine where there's no food available. So all of these animals in the wild are at best getting super, super stored up for the winter and then burning a little bit off. And then by the next spring, they're just, they're great, you know, and those are probably the animals that you see big vital, you know, huge animals. And then there's the ones who probably have more of an average lifestyle where they don't eat as much. And then they kind of come out of the winter a little bit lean and looking worse for the wear. And I would imagine babies experience that from the get go too. I've approached keeping babies that way. You know, to me, you go through the same temperatures. Um, but then, you know, I, I thought about that as well. But then are they getting into microhabitats to where right. it's a more consistent temperature? You know, Do the skinks um, and geckos and baby carpets need to squeeze in the same crack to avoid the elements together? And then the right. <laughs> and therefore their feedings, you know, all year, all year long. Um, yeah. I don't know. So it's a and lot of course, uh, some of those babies don't survive the winter. That's part of it, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 100%. Otherwise, so, there would be a lot of snakes. <laughs> I feel like in the, the early years of, of raising up carpets, I would run into more respiratory issues with animals coming out of winter um, when I wasn't cycle feeding in my earlier years because they were being brought up 
getting food throughout the winter and, you know, not getting as cold. And then when I switched, um, you know, when they, they come back out of the winter and temps are warm, they're breeding in bunches, you know, a little bit more taxing on them. And now I find that I, I don't have that issue with adults or babies. And I find that the babies that are raising up being cycle fed, getting the winter off of food, come up in the spring, hit food, no problem. And really, I see a big growth spurt right after that. And they just, they don't skip a beat. And I think it's healthy for them. I think it's natural for them. Mm-hmm, I think yeah. in years past, I've, I've raised animals too large, too fast and too soon. Uh, I've definitely specific, done that. Specifically, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's why I have no success with my albino Darwin female, because she's a huge girl. You know, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have run into this too, but. And it really doesn't, I haven't really seen it with too many other species of python, but with carpets, it's like, it's, it, it comes across, um, a lot, right? Because we talk about adult carpet pythons with these big chunky heads and big beefy heads. And I have definitely run into situations where I've fed, you know, and again, this is where I've come up with the way I do things. Like I, I've, I've fed animals to where their, their body is big, but their head is small. And mm. you look at them and they just don't look right. They look like it's like, yeah, hmm, something's yeah. off here. Like this doesn't make sense. Like, um, so it, it lead me to think that maybe I was feeding them too much. And then I started to think about things like, well, seasonal feeding and stuff like that. And in my mindset, how I was, what I was looking at is like from the breeder standpoint, right? Because from the breeder standpoint, I'm looking at it and saying, okay, well, it's the only thing that's going to happen by me, you know, cutting back food on, on a baby is that it's not going to grow as fast. Right. And everybody talks about the slow grow and all this stuff. So maybe it would be wise if I, instead of feeding every week, I feed every two weeks, I feed heavy in the summer. I go a couple months without feeding or, if I notice that something looks like it, like it needs a meal, like we all know what that look, you know, yeah. that look, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. you just, you throw it something or, you know, with diamond pythons, what I've found, especially with the young ones that I've raised up is that they, they're kind of like chondros. They kind of tell you uh, providing that you provide them a perch or something like that. They'll tell you when they want to eat, you know, um, and they'll, be out there in that hunting position. So like if I see them in that position for a long time, maybe I'll go and, and offer them uh, something to eat, you know, but diamond pythons will eat when it's like 50 degrees. Um, <laughs> I'm going to share this picture real quick of um, it's uh, uh, botanical gardens um, in Darwin. Um, and the only information that I have that has anything to do with um, um, baby carpets was so, you know, Gavin said that the, the the adults would be up in the trees here, right? And when we saw the one that we saw was probably as high as, as like up here, right? So they're pretty high in the tree. But the babies are all down here, right? Down along the bush line, I guess. Is that what you would call it, you know? So like that's sort of like where you would find them. Um, I can tell you that there's geckos and skinks running all over the place down here. You know, um, so yeah, I, was gonna say, I bet you the prey is different at the low. And yeah. And then up age. here, it's all like, you know, birds. possums and stuff like that. Yeah. Birds, yeah. Possums, stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. if you're a tiny, tiny baby carpet and you're way up in the canopy, it's probably a lot easier to get picked off by birds yeah. of prey and, sure. and whatnot, you know, easier to disappear in the underbrush. Mm-hmm. Or it's a far drop. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Australian monitors are tree dwellers too. So mm-hmm. 
yeah and predator concern i'm sure yeah oh it's so, so cool though yeah and just looking at that photo if you look at the color tones on the bottom there's a lot of reds and browns and earthy tones you go up it's more green and light yeah and, and everything so you know it kind of lends to that neonatal red coloration that we always talk about in, in a lot of carpets so yeah i think that was in there somewhere somebody said something about that um, yeah yeah red and carpets or something yeah. but um yeah i don't know i don't know it's definitely uh nice it seems to be working for me uh and until different research has been done i'm just gonna kind of go with it keep going with it yeah so. yeah i, I cycled my babies on in terms of feed for the first time this year because of of listening to to what you do eric and you know that they're still growing. They're they're yeah. doing fine. It's all good. <laughs> I think it's healthy for them. And after listening to Doctor Loafman kind of explain yeah. all that research, it just really solidified that sort of mindset for me big time. It's hard yeah. for me to remember that I should do that with everything except the falsies. It's like, oh yeah, I'm still supposed to. I'm still supposed to feed these things like every yeah. four days. <laughs> you know, that's the struggle with keeping different kind of species, right? You yeah. know, like if you have like one specific species or something that's close, you can kind of like come up with a a schedule and you just kind of like follow that schedule. But you know, when you start yeah. dabbling in other things like lizards and stuff, you're like, oh, oh schedule goes out. <laughs> oh, <point> yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got to eat every I day. I, oh, I yeah. set a recurring like calendar event in my phone for every four days that's just like you have false water cobras. <laughs> 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 but uh, I fed them uh, frog legs the other day. That was good. That was fun. They what did loved you find? it. So cool. Oh, you What's fed that? them frog legs? Yeah. Yeah. I, w I went out and did uh, another day. Uh, on that really cool conservation easement with um, kind of my biology godfather. And uh, <laughs> we got a bunch of American bullfrogs, which are invasive. And if you have a fishing license in California, you can, you take can take them because they're no good. And uh, yeah, just chopped legs off and fed them off and froze the rest. It was great. <laughs> Awesome. The falsy, I mean, <laughs> reacted as if it had been eating it its whole life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Very kind cool. of funny, too, just seeing, like, the little hand poking out. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah. So so I had a question that um, I, I wanted to hit on this a couple of weeks ago, but um, because I think it came up, but, well, maybe it wasn't. It started to come up a couple of weeks ago, and it was this whole uh, idea of um, – localities lines and bloodlines there was some mm. kind of thread that was talking about breeding a zebra to a gelatin jungle yeah, yeah. or something like that and you know <laughs> yeah actually ben is in in the com or in the chat here he uh he posted a very you know innocent and curious question uh in the jungle carpet uh python us group yeah uh, asking if there is such a thing as a gelatin zebra and uh I think you can take that question and interpret it several different ways. And that's exactly right. what happened. And I think yeah. a lot of emotions uh, got involved. Yeah, there. boiled up. I was yeah, like, wow. it was, it's been a while since we've, we've seen a good, uh, you know, comment thread fire off. Uh, it wasn't so much like a fight or jabs. There was no like name calling or anything, but it got a little heated. Got some, it felt tense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, was, it was a it was an innocent question, and I think it was totally worth asking. I think I think for me, like the way I look at that is like, so 
I think like so like there's the locality part of a gelatin, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously it's the locality at, well, for what we call locality, right? I right. guess, you know, it's as legit as it's going to be, right? So you have this locality of jungle carpet and it's obviously not related to say a Palmerson or, you know, cover girl or, you know, a Tully or whatever you want to say. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have that part of it. Um, and, I don't know if it would be why would it be wrong to breed if you're making ivory zebras, right? Mm -hmm. Ivories have been inbred forever to sort of get that look, right? Why would it be bad to outcross it? I I don't understand like the argument to say no, I won't outcross. I understand like some people may have a problem with that locality sort of disappearing and becoming something different or just you know not being available to people anymore because everybody wanted to put it to morphs and all this stuff right but i i don't understand like if you're if you're a responsible breeder right and we have a lot of them in the carpet community i would say and you have people that are you know like nick mutton's not going to let his gelatin jungles disappear. I'm not going to let my gelatin jungles disappear. I don't think Paul Harris is going to let his disappear. I don't, you know what I mean? So they're like the people that are working with them. I don't see them as wanting them to disappear, but with such a limited gene pool, I don't understand why it would be a bad thing to sort of cross them. But I don't either. The, the only thing I would worry about, right, as we've seen with the uh, Anteresia complex as of recent, right, and we've seen this with the chondros, and I'm sure it's about to happen sometime soon with the carpets once the new book comes out. But what is the taxonomy? If you care about that, about that, then you should probably hold off before you start crossing those localities and stuff, you know. But um, it's not like if you breed a zebra to a gelatin, like all of a sudden gelatins are going to disappear. Right. I think the flip side of that, the, the argument to come back at it is, is that, you know, you're going to have a newbie that comes along and innocently mm -hmm. they're going to say, I have a gelatin zebra. Sure. And I think what the people that were on the locality side were trying to say is like, once you outcross that okay. animal, it's no longer a locality animal, right. you know? But I guess the pushback would be, well, you know, if you're dealing with something in the States, like, you know, and Daniel Natouche would say this a lot when he would talk about localities, like, where does that stop, right? You could be on this side of a river and your locality A, and on that side of the river is locality B, but when you zoom out, it's still the same right. area. So is, what's yeah. the locality? Are we micro localities? Just, yeah. you know. Well, on the other side of it too, is like, eventually you do have to outcross in order just to you know, yeah. have screwed up terrible fecundity from fifth or seventh or whatever generation animals. So eventually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's either lose it or outcross it. Um, that being said, I think it would look freaking cool. Like, yeah. the zebra, <laughs> I think just because of how like irregular gelatins look, it's got to be something interesting in there, you know, and somebody yeah. suggested like, do do an ivory with a gelatin, an ivory yeah. zebra with a gelatin. Like, that would be sweet, too. Right. But, yeah, I think you brought up a great point. It's not like if you breed, if one person breeds a zebra to a gelatin, you know, gelatins are lost forever. There's there's some out there. So, mm -hmm. how do I feel about ivory normal? Same thing. Just do it. 
Yeah. Go for it, man. The real question was... Read what you want. Let's put this up. The real question was just if gelatins make zebra look like jungles brand in Long Island. Oh. Make a zebra like normal jungles. No, there there is not like a a morph associated in with the gelatin locality. Yeah. Yeah. But... And it... Breathe them together, you will make a zebra that has gelatin blood in it. So... Yeah, I mean, if you look at like uh, Nick's, you know, pedigrees, or if you look at like what um, Paul has bred, a lot of his zebra stuff has has been crossed with Palmerson and Tully. So they're already, it's already been done. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think it's just a matter of, you know, I guess you can't really do this, but a lot of times what I find is like with the reptile hobby, you have like these little, little inner circles of, of, of species that people work with. And the lingo that they use in that circle is not the same as if you're working with corn snakes or if you're working with boas or if you're working with all these different, you know, species of, of snakes. And, um, sometimes it becomes confusing for somebody that's coming in a locality. This is a cross. This is a, Mm -hmm. you know, you know what I mean? And especially with carpets, because, you know, and then and then you think you have it down, and then you talk to somebody from Australia, and they're saying, "Ah, oh, they're all the same." You know, and it's just <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> you know, yeah. oh but, yeah, it's a big learning curve. There's there's a ton of different terminology, and sometimes we can't even agree on our own terminology. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and hang people for it. <laughs> yeah, throw things up in the air and mix it all up again too. So. Yeah, I think one I heard brought up was like a sun glow. And like how sun glows were called a caramel and albino. And it was like, well, the reason that that was is because the hypo wasn't in people's hands when that happened. Correct. So, yeah. you mean Sibs? Oh, yeah, that's no, funny. Dirty word. <laughs> oh, that how was... dare you, Ryan? Uh, that uh, Ryan, goddamn it. Gonna get Riley all worked up. <laughs> Every week, man. Yeah. But even <laughs> like that's that's even a, even that's even an example. I know I can't talk about this with Owen because he gets so heated and I hope you don't get as heated Riley when I talk about this, right? But like if you look back in the day, right? When you didn't know the what a jaguar carpet, you know, you know, we didn't know what was going on with it, right? You would breed a coastal to a jag and then you would get these crazy looking yellow coastal carpets and everybody's like well that doesn't look like a coastal carpet that i see in australia and you know blah 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 and you know so i think that name came from is like okay well this is a jag and these are the sibs to the jag not knowing what's going on with right it, right and then you know and now categorization of the time yeah and now it it you know, if you look at it now, it doesn't mean the same as what it did then because we have more information now. So now we know that that's just, I, I never forget, like Zach said to me one time, he's like, well, if you breed a zebra to a jungle, what do you get? And I was like, well, you get zebras and jungles. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough. All right. Valid point. <laughs> you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that we know that the siblings don't, contain any sort of thing with the jag gene they're just the normal byproduct even though they look a little bit different sometimes yeah now that we have that information after years and years of people breeding them and it 
you know, disproving that they're anything different. Um, you know, then it just, the name stuck around and it was perceived to be at that point, a marketing ploy, mm-hmm. right. Knew that it doesn't mean anything or that the siblings don't have anything special about them. Right. Uh, so it, it started out as just an innocent way to name these things until they figured it out. And then once information came about and the name was still there, then anybody still using the name was, you know, potentially being accused of some marketing scam. And then, the name became sort of taboo and we did away with it as a community. Although, you know, it comes back every so often as new people or, or people are getting into the hobby and dig up the history of it or ask these questions. And we revisited yeah. it like this. So, oh, yeah. right. I won't name names, but somebody tried to sell me a snake on, you know, predicated on the fact that one of the parents was a fancy sib. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. Everything's a sib. Unless you had a one egg clutch, everything is a sib. <laughs> so how far half can debate about how far we can definitely breed localities until they're no longer locales. So that was another interesting thing that came up, right? You know, they were talking about like, you know, you had Derek Roddy who's been breeding Atherton carpets and he has like F11s, you know, and like no uh nothing bad. And I have animals from that you know yeah they're rock solid he was saying they that snakes don't experience inbreeding depression and that was the first time i've heard that uh point of opinion and and i read his explanation and if what he's saying is true i mean he's got a valid argument and i thought that was very interesting and then you know you think about um i've listened to video interviews and discussions that vin russo has talked about and read stuff about island races of boas parthenogenically producing just litters of males so the female can then breed to keep the survival of their species around later. And that's, you know, exponential amounts of inbreeding. It's inbreeding and cloning and like, I mean, it's like crazy almost. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, point of discussion to bring up. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the 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 thing that I that that sort of stuck with me is, is like you know he's breeding just normal carpets together, right? Mm. No no morphs, no no messed up genes, nothing like that, and and he's not having the results. But if you do that with you know carpets that have genes that tag along with that, you know, is that when you start to see problems? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean. I know you I know you see it when you combine certain like okay I and again this is just my observations I'm not saying that this is accurate or not but it seems to me like the more genes you cram into a jag the worse the neuro gets in my experience like if you have an albino zebra jag you know albino jag is like and then you put the zebra in with it and it's like upside down in the tub you know type of thing and um you know then when you start to add like caramel and like i don't know man it just it seems to jack it up and usually they're the ones that are dead and like look at that crazy one that i hatched out that i thought was a caramel granite zebra jag right everything was fine it was neuro as hell and then it just died yeah. Mm-hmm. So. yeah. And I, I think of, of that point that gets made that all of those genes that affect the pigmentation and pattern and things that we see like that, they're not, they don't stand alone. <laughs> you know, they're, they're attached to other things that matter right. and you're altering right. multiple genes to produce that look in a lot of cases. Um, at least that's my understanding. So 
you know, the more things that you tweak that yeah. result in changes in pattern, color, pigmentation, other things are changing too that can't be seen with the naked eye in some cases. And sometimes it's harmless and sometimes it's not. Yeah. But you're mm-hmm. you're just increasing the amount of yeah. variation from a natural genotype. Um, Ultimately, you're breaking that you're you're uh, you're purveying the broken genes that have broken against what nature is selected for mm-hmm. in survival and right. strength. Right, and, and them to live, and then you know pursuing the the production of them further. Absolutely, and and so my understanding is worse than others. Yeah, in terms of the inbreeding depression thing, my understanding of the mechanism is that you will eventually have problems. Like there, there's different reproductive strategies. Doctor Malcolm, life finds a way. You know, it's going to be different from species to species. Um, how long it takes for that to occur, and you know, it depends on what your founder stock was. If you start with a brother and sister, you're probably going to have a shorter lease than if your founding stock was completely unrelated animals. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think you can escape that. I think that, especially for species like a carpet python, where I think it's fair to say in most cases they're not. To, they, they, you shouldn't think of most of them as island populations, right? Like they're not restricted to, they're not so restricted to tiny areas where the only, you know, partners they're going to find are relatives. Um, right. I think that's fair to say. So, I don't know. That's my, it's my thought. Yeah, I think that yeah. sometimes it just takes more time than well, thing. Biological processes happen on time scales that most of the time. Uh, stretch beyond a human lifetime. So things can look fine to us, but that doesn't mean that they are. Things just don't yeah. work, you know, on, on the same time scale uh, as our 80 to 100 year window, if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I think the, 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 the granite thing was brought up, right. And with the genes that were sort of connected with the granite and we have seen that the gene. So like back in, and when I started, working with granites they had no eyeballs and you know they, they were just they were just a train wreck of, of of a snake and it was just because they just you know nick had this i don't know if it was nick justin or ben but or all three of them together but they had this theory that if they outcrossed it that possibly they could could fix that and um because i guess they knew how inbred they were and i i want to say that i thought ben did some kind of study um you know and I think he talked about it on NPR, but and he they did find out that 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 gene itself was just like inbred, like insane, like right. crazy inbred. Um, but you know, so they started outcross it, and the problems started to go away, right? But I think to Derek's point is like, okay, yes, but you're still dealing with a gene. Like a to Lucas's point, yeah. a morph that's altering other things. As opposed to an animal that, you know, you're, that's just the normal, normal, what nature intended, if you will, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, like but, a super um, jag isn't lethal because you made the snake white. It's right. lethal because of the other things attached to, the, to that gene when you put them together like that. You know, clearly right, it's yeah. affecting internal function uh, right. that we can't see. So, Basically, yeah, right. the, 
this, the genes, if you take a, a strand of DNA, each section, each genetic thing is like a little code box. And each box has little switches for turning things on or off. And when you mix them together, it's a roll of the dice, which switches move to the offspring flipped on and flipped off. And sometimes when these genes are broken, too many switches turn on or too many switches flip off. And then you get this weird outcome in the DNA that just makes a funky animal that's against, you know, everything that evolution has sort of driven them towards. And that's why we see deleterious effects in the hobby is because right. we don't to, we've amplified it and, and pursued it essentially. I think the advantage that people that cross, right. If you're crossing subspecies or species or, you know, to make a specific combo of, uh, of a morph. I think the advantage that you have when you're doing that is that you're automatically outcrossing without even, without even trying. Right. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're doing it because these two species, you know, or subspecies would never, well, I shouldn't say never depending on which ones you're talking about, but, right. uh, a diamond python isn't going to integrate with a Darwin carpet, you know, or an IJ or an imbricata, you know. Um, so it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's one of those weird things where you can sort of get it. But I think I think what happens that in just again, in my experience, just the more you compound like I've had you know, albino, caramel, you know, tiger, you know, all these different genes that are put together, granite, caramel, zebras, and, you know, all this stuff. And I, I never seem to have the same disasters as I have when the jag is added into that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just yeah. my experience again. So yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> um, Speaking of locality, so, you know, localities is like, I don't know. It's one of those weird things, right? I mean, I know we put like emphasis on it because it's sort of like, what's up with super zebras? <laughs> what's, what's up the with, deal super, with super zebras? <laughs> well, Rob, you are a blood python connoisseur. What's up with super boutiques? How come we don't yeah. see super boutiques? Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. People don't like the the potential kink tail, the deformity. They don't like yep. the taboo about making something that has an issue with it. But in my opinion, and after hearing Nick talk about it, um, as well as the granite stuff and related discussion, it seems to me to be a simple outcrossing issue. Okay. Because the genes thinks. <laughs> Fair. I hate batiks too, Rob. Uh I don't know what it is about batiks. Uh, my boss will tell you through and through every batik clutch or something like that. You're going to get like either some runts that like just never take off and they just fail to thrive and they're tiny. And they never shed their jungle skin looking kind of funky. No brown. kidding. Oh yeah. yeah. I've, I've had it every year working with Grant um, every season. Oh, I've wow. Some yeah, we had a couple, and then the I other, think I saw one of those for the first yeah. time. Yeah. Here yeah, <laughs> than hell too. Like, mm for whatever reason, batiks are just cranky. It doesn't matter if you like make a matrix and add matrix and there doesn't matter if you add other genes. Batik is like angry and issues with babies like across the board. And then if you do the super thing, you get, you know, you just get kink tails in the exact same way that the super zebras were. Hmm. It's interesting how like they're, 
identical genes in two different oh, species yeah. as far as how they behave and the phenotype too. Yeah. Petite yeah. is a very, very busy, crazy looking animal. A super petite like, the opposite. Yeah. Right. Know? A so, patternless. Yeah. I'd be blonde, I'd be yellow, khaki. I don't know what you would call it color wise, yeah. but I'd be curious to see if somebody is interested in in taking the glutton for punishment and trying some outcross petite stuff and see if over some time you get better results. So Rob asked if if I think that the zebra is is destined to for a similar hobby area. I guess what he's meaning is do we see that sort of falling in the same lines of like people not really going for the super, I guess, and like really just focusing so. on I think I you know, Brandon, right? I, I know I think he's still working on it, but like his idea was not really to focus on the super zebra part of it, but like if you look at some of the zebras, they throw crazy patterns, right? And like to me that's where the magic is right you can you can like pinstripe it you can make a bolder pattern with more black and yet less yellow and like there's a, there's a lot of ways you could go with it with a zebra and let's be honest like you know i think that everybody's going after that super zebra because they want a screaming yellow solid snake and you know i just don't see that as no I they just don't see that as happening but they, they get darker yeah and I think Nick explained it one time. It's kind of like it's kind of like we we have this idea that like you know the the color sort of just like the black disappears and then right. it's just the yellow. But what happens is it if I'm if I'm if I remember I don't know exactly remember how he explained it, but it's kind of like it's almost like if you mix the that up in a paint bucket, right? You're going to get dirty yellow now because you, you have some of that darker pigment in there, you know? Right. Well, and the other thing, for whatever reason, we forget that jungles age really nicely up to about two or three, and then they sort of plateau or, or even get worse yeah. um, and kind of over age. And why would it be any different with the super zebra? I mean, I've got two year olds that look phenomenal, but I bet you they won't look that good in four years or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and and to Rob's question about do, like do I think that zebras are destined to the similar area in the hobby as the petites are, and they're sort of like a, a side project, never really the main focus. I think that's where they're at right now, and I hope that changes. I hope there's a lot of folks that are interested uh, in in just getting into carpets and jungles that are interested in doing what you said, Eric, and that's doing what Brandon is tinkering with is making cool zebras, different zebras, because then you're going to start outcrossing the foundation of the super zebras. So if people are yeah. doing that as well as looking to make super zebras and they start with those puzzle pieces, I think people will have a better time or a, or a more successful experience in the pursuit of a super zebra. And I think, I think it's worth doing. I think, you know, everybody understands a patternless animal is kind of like a, a, a dominating phenotype and there's not much you can do with it project wise but it is worth you know making and experiencing it's fun yeah I, sure i made it a goal for myself to to make some and i did it and i'm very glad i did i think there needs to be more of them but i think you know uh people out crossing the foundation the building blocks of just really good pure zebras is phenomenal so i hope it gets better yeah i have a soup well i have a what is a possible super caramel super zebra but the, the tail's fine you know um yeah. so to your point maybe it is you know maybe outcrossing is a factor I, I you know i don't know maybe you have to outcross it with the right thing in order to 
it's sort of like you were saying earlier, like you have these genes that turn off and on. So maybe in, with when you're using a certain combination, it turns off, you know, right. and then in other ones, it turns on. So Yeah. Mm. And, and you can get different results from pairing the same pairing multiple times over and over and over just because every time they pair the genetic outcomes for each baby is a complete random roll of the dice as far as how DNA works. It's all just which genes are going where. And so, you know, you could have, so for example, my 2019 zebra to zebra clutch, 13 eggs, half of them crapped out really early on. And I only ended up with seven eggs that went the distance. Uh, right. I, I repeated that pairing this season. I got a slightly bigger clutch, I think 16 eggs or I don't know. I can't remember. And uh, all the eggs are perfect. Uh, mm -hmm. this go around so far. Um, they're only like two weeks in, but you know, I won't be surprised if I get a completely different outcome from the exact same pair, because that's right. just the roll of the dice with it. Now in the same clutch from two years ago, I got two super zebras. The female came out with a perfect tail. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it almost looks a little truncated. Like it doesn't go to the perfect thin taper at the end. It just kind of stops maybe like a scale or two abruptly. So it, at first glance, it looks perfect. If you look at it, you, maybe it is a little different. But um, and then the male had a full knuckle and a nub that I had to snip off at his first shed, and they're right. in the same same clutch. And the parents, both zebras, of course, so they have some you know related history and lineage for far up the tree, but came from completely different you know stock and crossed stuff along the way. So you know different bloodlines of jungle were mixed in with the zebras that ultimately came together at this union at several generations or whatever down. And so you got mixed results. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's yeah. kind of how that works. And I think the more you outcross, the better it gets. Yeah. And that's the struggle, right? Especially when you're dealing with Australian <laughs> herps. Yeah. It's damn, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's well, and especially if they're going to revise all the tax and not, you know, if potentially jungles and coastals are the same, then what sort of muddiness happens? Like who knows? Mm hmm. Yeah, Stephen Poole brings up a good point. Do you think that outcrossing just increases the revolver on the kink tail roulette? You know, yes. um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to think yep. about it. You basically make um, it feel bigger and the odds of it happening smaller. Yeah, with all the people that are working with, um, um, the, the, you know, the morphs and stuff and the different morph combinations and when, when morphs were really hot carpets, you would think that we would have seen, um, a lot more. I think there's only that I know of what three albino super zebras, you know? So like, why, you know, why is that, um, why is that such a, yeah, again, that just makes me think that it has something to do with when you combine certain things, it's just, just shit, you know? So. It's not impossible. We've seen that they've been made, yeah. and statistically speaking, just from a Mendelian genetic standpoint, there's no reason why statistically it shouldn't have occurred more than it has. But you talk to anybody who pursued it, and they'll tell you how much of a train wreck some of those clutches were. Yeah. So again, like you know, for me, it's sort of like why I just got sick and tired of that rat race to get no or just get disappointed every time. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh man, you know, all these eggs died. Then you start to question yourself. Am I a shitty breeder? Am I, you know, you know what I mean? And really it could have nothing to do with you as the breeder. It's just, you know, these, 
the genes that we're working with are broken, you know, that's or the combination of genes are broken, you know. So that's where my frustration lies with my albino Darwins right now. Yeah. Five and yeah. six years old, tried them a couple of years. They're of age, they're mature, nothing. Is it me? Maybe. Is it the animals and being related to the albino stuff? Maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I had a thought, you know, there's a lot of like, um, I, I remember when a, the albino Darwin first really became um, uh, popular, like you could purchase it at a reasonable price in the hobby. And a lot of people were having trouble breeding them, especially out here on the, in the East coast. Um, and I wonder if it has to do with, I mean, I would imagine like maybe, maybe I've read a couple articles um, from, um from doc doc rock i think his name was he was an australian guy he's the guy that did the gamma range stuff and all that gamma range carpets i think his website is down but he used to have this um and i have a copy of it but it's um uh basically no stone um uh his last name was stone um simon stone yeah that's it so anyway he did he yeah how can i forget that right he um (laughs) He did. Uh, he did like a, a little write up on um, on breeding pythons, and you know, for the most part, overall, they were pretty much the same. But like, there was just little minute differences when he paired them. You know, how much of a temp drop? You know, and like, I I wonder if like it's just a matter of that. You know what I mean? Like, is it is it is it something like? like that to where we're just trying to like it's sort of like diamond pythons right you would think that they would breed the same as regular carpets inlands are supposed to breed during the spring but yet people breed them during the winter um i don't know and maybe maybe it's a timing thing maybe it's a you know maybe they especially with you there on the west coast it really doesn't have like you know say snowstorms or stuff like that but you still like should you put them together more when pressure fronts are coming through um i don't know does does uh i i would imagine what's his name has uh carrie and todd have success with darwin's right oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. that's who i got my darwin's from both of them um hmm. and todd's been successful with them for years and to be honest he's in southern california where it gets even less of a, a winter really the harder Dude, socal is brutal in the winter man it doesn't throw my theory out the window 80 degrees <laughs> <laughs> But what Todd does is he positions his animals differently in the warehouse, including his diamonds, puts them near the door, has fans pulling air out. So he has zones in his spot. And so he he's definitely got his Darwin's working for him. I, I don't know how he does it, but I can't do it. And I got plenty of warmth and season and drop here. Huh. Interesting. I don't, I don't know, man. I wish I had an answer, man. I haven't bred Darwin's yet. I bred crosses, but not pure Darwin's. Yeah, I know, and it pains me too because I'm like, y'all better start producing because there's some stuff coming that those cages. <laughs> yeah, Riley's got to make some space. <laughs> oh man, hell talk, yeah! Talk about getting away from the rat race of things, man. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's just been listening to you talk and experiencing your your shift in in experience with keeping these animals in mind too, and and probably some input from the rest of the hobby shifting to towards more of a a quality over a quantity thing. And then me just getting, you know, more infatuated with other things as my keeping persona evolves per se. Uh, You know, I'm finding myself 
not as gung ho about gunning for caramel super tigers as it was like five years ago. Like I have a caramel and I'm probably going to sell them because I don't have anything to breed to, you know, like right. all these ideas that I had early on have sort of lost their luster. But what has stood the test of time is just understanding the species and, yep, and right. what's working and, and finding what I'm really intrigued about and learning, experiencing, and then moving on to the next thing. So, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, if you'd asked me, I'd have told you my collection's stable, nothing's changing. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I'm revamping stuff. <laughs> right. So, like, yeah. you know, gotta, gotta yeah. know where you're, you're keeping kind of takes you. I, I seem to do well with a few things and I'm just going to play to my strengths, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm on that same wave. I want want blackheads. Give me all the blackheads. <laughs> I'm, I'm being torn right now. There's two parts of me. It's like every piece of Morelia. <laughs> Do the less, you know, like go for these couple things and succeed. Yeah. Like, but I want them all. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's 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 a it's tough, man. It's tough, you know. And the minute you get rid of something and. You know, yeah. you, you, this is a crazy comment, by the way. Rob just blowing my. Oh mind. yeah, I meant to go back. To that. <laughs> I've never heard of a zebra's tail not becoming unknotted like that. That's wild. That, that is wild. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> so, Rob, I'm really curious because the male that I have, he was born with a full-on knuckle, like a right angle, and then the tip was uh like folded over as if somebody had taken an iron, bent it over, and then pressed it together like it was. The, the full horseshoe and like, you know, I, I don't even think there was like scale bond. I think it was like built that way. So I don't think it would have happened with him, but that is absolutely mind blowing to hear that that happened in the tail of a super zebra. I'm so su- I'm surprised you didn't um, nip it right away because I, my impression with the super zebra uh, knots and things like that, not a tail. My impression was that if it sheds, problematically the first time you get stuck shed or whatever it's going to continue to do that and so the easiest way to deal with it is deal with it as early as possible which is why i did the quick clean like surgical amputation nip it in the butt and it's not an issue now so i'm i'm curious like what it looked like when it hatched and if you if you weren't curious if that was going to happen or if just one day it's like <laughs> so that's why it's crazy wow. nice uh, that's nutty. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. I've I, never heard of anything like that. Neither have I. But, um, and yeah. I would assume when it was knotted, it probably didn't have very much control over it. I wonder if when it straightened out, it actually could like do tail things again. Yeah. Some kind of luring <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah. It was one I hatched out when I was working in May. Hmm, that's wild. Huh. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Hand peeled the shed the first time so it didn't build up a ring. Interesting. So it wasn't Brilliant. super pressed and crazy. That's nuts. That's nuts. So, yeah, to, yeah go for it. I was going to say, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> by the way, Craig just, he just made oh, a comment. Did you see dude. the clutch he hatched oh, out? What the hell? So nice. So red with stripes. Oh, oh. those were so beautiful. Damn it. Yeah, I man. Those. That perfect shot. The UK. Yeah, that, that perfect shot above, you know, mom's head with the babies popping out, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, Good stuff, babies. man. Babies, and he's babies. got one that's like, 
got a real nice stripe on it and it's starting his stripe project yeah man he's, yeah he's, and did you see the price of a uh um uh, a pair of imported ijs was like on what seven hundred and fifty dollars uh, squeeze me yeah 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 <laughs> from who well I don't want to say his name on air, but you know. Who. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not getting a pair if you're buying those. You're probably getting two males. My yeah. one is likely to be dead and yeah. they're probably not even like mm. pure. They're probably just some offshoot crap from some idiot kid in yeah. Florida. So, I also saw somebody trying to sell adult male Womas for a thousand bucks a piece on Morph Market. Oh, give me a freaking break. <laughs> wow. I got a little chuckle out of that one. It's not how this works. Yeah. It's not how this works. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, the things you see people selling and pe- how different people react. I get customers that come into the shop every so often. They're like, oh, so-and-so. I just bought this uh, adult ball python for 100 bucks or whatever. I'm like, you're planning on breeding that? And they're like, yeah. I'm like. You know, there's a reason why breeders sell their adult females for real cheap. Because <laughs> they're shit breeders, dude. And he just kind of like, look at her, though. And I'm like, so pretty. Okay. Have fun. Well, it's, it's good news from over there in the UK. Craig said he ended up with 12.8. So he can send us a couple pairs of males for 750 pounds. <laughs> no. Does that include shipping? <laughs> No, might be worth is, it if it includes shipping. Yeah. <laughs> just for some new blood. Oh man. Uh, yeah, my my 2019 clutch was 7.2. So I feel you there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This this go around it was 3.5. So much better. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. But uh it's good to see, man. I you know, you couldn't give IJs away when back in the day, you know. I'm glad. So, I, so even even though that that one individual with a sordid history is asking an exorbitant amount of money for animals that may or may not exist in the status <laughs> he claims, I yeah. do like seeing more attention and value being placed on poplin carpets, and I think it's uh, been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you were producing, uh, <clears throat> you know, clutches of just. F1s or captive born and bred, just good stock. And, and it was stuff that you weren't planning on keeping. It was stuff for the market. What, where would you be comfortable selling? You know, I, I hate to say run of the mill because it almost demeans the beauty of just the natural phenotype. But what do you think the price point for a good, pure popcorn carpet is today? Um, I would say it's probably, I would, I would venture to say four to five hundred bucks. Yeah. That would be where I would yeah. look. Um, I'll tell you right now, with eight babies on the ground and hundreds of people asking me for one or two here and there, I right. think the value is sort of up a lot. Because, yeah. I mean, the the individuals that I got for, uh, for you and, and for me from Dan a few years ago, even though they were farm hatched imports, they were like 120 bucks a piece. Yeah. I was like done, you know, nowadays that's, that's long gone. I, I wouldn't sell a, a really good quality pure pop baby for any less than 400 these days. They just, I'd rather keep it for anything less than that personally. 
Yeah. I mean, shit, I've held on to so many IJs. <laughs> like, it's crazy <laughs> how many IJs I sold. And I'm like, maybe it was good that I held on to them. So now that mm -hmm. I'm going to sell them now that they're older, have some color, have some nice genetics behind them. Some of them are, you know, yep. unrelated to anything out there. You know, I just think there's so much we don't know about what the future holds for this clade of, of carpet pythons that it's silly to sell anything as a breeder right now unless like you're just limited by space like if i could keep everything i 100 yeah. would <clears throat> yeah absolutely mm -hmm. yeah which is why two years ago i didn't sell anything from that clutch i, I sent mails to wherever because i was like well mm -hmm. my odds are shit and i'd rather not struggle with selling mails and get lowballed by people who are going to flip this animal anyway and put it in the hands of people who at least have other females understand this. And uh, yeah, I, and now I've got females. So the people who, you know, got some males, if you want a female, you know, now is, it's like, and I'd rather keep the females than sell them. So to me, it's like, I'll just give them to people. Right. Quiet, Cox. <laughs> <laughs> Sells what? everything, moves to Australia to live in a hut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I never liked these IJs anyway. <laughs> it's all so in one long game. <laughs> yeah, it's the long con, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, you hear uh, that, poor buddies? I've been given you value. You he has some of the nicest IJs in the world, and he can't he can't give them away. <laughs> like, That's shameful. That's yeah, shameful. man. I would give you four hundred dollars tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> for some of your stock for real, especially after the photos he's been posting recently. Oh my god, oh my god, man, he's crazy, he's killing it, yeah, killing it. Yeah. I love it, I love yeah. it, I love it, I love seeing that, man. It's it reminds me of like when I first got into carpets, there was just like this little group of it was like me and Luke Snell and uh Julie, and um, there was a couple other people that like really you know, um, um. Uh, Shay Peterson, uh, just a couple other people that like really worked with just natural IJs and, uh, you know, obviously Yasser and stuff like that. But, oh, um, dude, you totally just remind Keep going. I was like, oh, you got to see. But like, it's good to see like a good that I, I got that feeling back when, you know, like of 07 and 08, you know, when I was just getting into it, where like a lot of of a lot of uh, the um, focus was on just selective breeding, natural IJs, and it's good yeah. to see that again, right? Yeah. So absolutely. sorry, right. go ahead. Spitfire no, no, you go. you totally like got me all uh, sparked up, and now I can't find it. But I was looking for. Did you see the photo of that uh, wild caught striped IJ that Chris Lemmy posted up? Um, that is my favorite snake that he has. Oh, I, I, he I got that from that. Outback. Yeah. Oh, I, I got it right here. He said, oh, <laughs> he said it, sends it. Pull that up. That is yeah. the silliest looking. I mean, the 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 stripe is huge. It's it's bordered in black. It it's a completely different color from the rest of the animal. And then the side flanks and the color in it is just silly. It's just absolutely. I've never seen. Uh, a stripe on a, in an IJ like that. I've seen plenty of the, it's broken, it's zigzaggy, it's all trying to connect and, and you know, looks great, but I've never seen it like that. Right. Um, here we go. Yeah. That I don't know thing, what it yes. is about that snake, man. That yes. thing is sexy. 100%. Is unbelievable animal. 
I love that orange that's in the I think to me that's like what I really it doesn't really matter about the the base color as much as mm-hmm. that orange and then it's outlined in that black. To me that just pops, you know? Yep. And like they have like this they have like that white on the head and like the white lip head and um yeah, yeah man. It's so yeah. cool. Uh the two the two animals from uh that group that we got from Dan Valeri of mine that I have are developing yep. that that burnt orange, almost olive green fish netted color. Right. Oh, I'm just yeah, like, man. every time I open the enclosure, I'm like, I want to take photos of you, but the photos are going to make me cry because <laughs> they just won't get it. And right. I can't color correct and I can't touch it up enough to make it look good without overdoing it and looking ridiculous. And it's like, right. It sounds so cliche, but these are animals that you got to see in person because the camera just doesn't do them justice. Yeah, and man. I remember the first time talking with you several years ago about your interest and your obsession with them and, and hearing you talk about the different palettes and templates in the future and this and that, that was when I was like, I've been completely ignoring this group of animals. And I looked and, and I'm so glad I did. And uh, man, my collection was so different then. And now yeah. <laughs> unbelievable how many uh, freaking IJs I have. You know, what's funny. I was, I was talking to Alan the other day. And uh-huh. I was over at his place, full of monitors and everything. And he's in there and he's going, you know, despite all the Bradley and everything that I have, somehow I have more IJs than anything else. Right, man. Yeah. yeah. I was like, well, you, you're uh, a healthy individual and I think you've made good choices in your life. And uh, <laughs> you're, you're an excellent role model for your Stamp children. Of approval. And, yes. uh, and you're welcome. I've steered you accurately. You, you, can, you can fly now, Alan. Right. Hundred <laughs> percent, yeah, man. So, man, I I'll have to get him some more Bradley to even that out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the the dude, the era of of Papuans and IJs taking over, like jungles have, is here. Yeah, hundred percent. If anybody's been debating if that's what's going on, or you're not sure, or you disagree with me, that's fine. But I'm telling you right now, IJs are the new jungles. I think, yeah, I think, I think that like there's so many directions you can go, right? Yes. I mean, and there's, there's right now you can get wild caught stock so that you can, you can get a diverse group of, of animals. Um, and you can, you know, lay, you can, you could, the way I looked at it is it's like, okay, I, I, I don't know. With everything that I've approached in life, it's like either I can be a follower or I can be a leader, right? So it's like, you know, and I look at it, it's like, okay, yeah, these jungles are freaking amazing. They're beautiful. I love everything about them. I mean, like, come on, man, you're across the reptile show. You look over. I mean, nothing stands out more than yellow and black. Like, I mean, let's be honest, you know, you're like, holy shit, especially when you find that, like, you know, some of the people and I think Sean Carroll's is his name in in Australia. When he posts up a jungle, man, I just lose my friggin' mind. Like I'm just like, oh my god, (laughs) you know, like holy shit, how do I get that? Yeah, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I, I just it's like okay, you know, the people that have done the work with that are known for that. Yeah, you know, so like, why not instead of just reproducing what somebody else has? Why not try to try something different, you know, and that's how I always looked at it. And I think if you're interested in being that type of of breeder or, you know, you want to have stock that's like that, then then that's the, you know, Mm. to me, it makes the most sense 
from a carpet python point of view yes darwin's That's yes inland's you know they they no they was. can they can stand it as well, but the the issue you're going to run into with that is that outcrossing stock. Right. You know mm-hmm. you're going right. to have X amount of lines that you can work with, and that's it. You know what with yeah. with IJs or poplins, you can you can sort of look at that and sort of uh, you know and and the cool thing is is that they don't get too big. Mm-hmm. You know they breed relatively easy. I mean mm-hmm. they're probably mm-hmm. the easiest carpet to breed. Sorry, Sorry Owen. Owen. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh my goodness! You know, I I, I really know, need man. to breed those so that it's just him. Yeah, you do. We'll make sure yeah. you'll be. We'll take care. Yeah, I'm gonna set you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're gonna get the well, IJ starter pack. We'll just, just for the just we'll for the send joke. Him like a yeah. gravid female just to fuck with Owen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, no, I totally I don't agree. Know, man. Yeah, it's, I it's, agree. And that lately, that's what's been consuming me. I've been waking up in the middle of the night and having crazy <laughs> dreams lately, dude. Like very lucid dreams. It's it's freaking me out. Like it's the universe talking to me. And then Lucas at work says something the other day that's like, you know, triggers this weird like, why are you in my head sort of thing? And <laughs> what I, did I do? <laughs> when you were like, you just need to become the pop one guy. When you said that, I was like, mm-hmm. dude, I'm pretty sure I had a dream, and you said that, and this is freaking me out a little bit. Um, and so yeah, we're talking Apadora. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so I was all talking Apadora. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. And yeah. all of a sudden, I'm in my head, and I'm like laying in bed. And I'm like, okay, I got to talk to Owen. What does he have room for? If he has room, all these mad hogs. Oh, is that where all that talk was? Yeah, yeah. So so this is what's happening. This is my current evolution. (laughs) I've cocooned and I'm coming out of the cocoon slowly. What have I Uh, done? I am going to get rid of my Madagascar giant hog nose. I'm going to send them to Owen for an indefinite amount of time. If I am so fortunate to later on expand my space and bring them back in, then I know where they're at and Owen's breeding them. So... You know, he's successful with them already. My work is done. I'd rather see him be successful with all three of those because he's so obsessed. So I'm going to send him my tools to help him do that, free up some cage space. And I'm thinning some of the the coastals back, um, cutting that group in half. I'm selling a proven breeder Exanic. I'm selling some tiger holdbacks from last year. And ultimately what I'm trying to shift over is to make room for uh, my Papuan apodora group to eventually by the end of this year sit at 2.2 with the help of eric and rob and i will be getting rid of whatever needs to go to make that happen um so much so that i might end up letting go of uh a couple holdback rainbow boas i might let go of some holdback bait like i'm going to get rid of what needs to go in order to free up space and money for these and then that's going to be the anchor for me because there's so many things in my life that are steering me that way with, with the, the, the Indonesian stuff, the, the pop one carpets, the, the, I don't know. It's just Man, finally I mean, waking every up time, to it. Yeah. Every time you talk about those snakes, every time, you know, you, you have that snake out, I can just tell how, how much that animal connects with you and how passionate you are about that species. Yeah. And so when, when this opportunity, uh, arose for you to potentially get more that that's why i was just kind of giving you a little nudge like if you don't <laughs> yeah, do this what are you doing? you're gonna kick yourself and uh, yeah it's just, you're gonna said he was gonna so kneecap me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i i mean it's um you gotta follow that 
Yeah, there's there's very few things like you go through your reptile keeping career and there's very few things that stand out as crisp and clean as some of those impressions you have with those animals that really speak to you. And uh, I've said the the story about my first time uh, having Todd throw a 14 foot apodora around my shoulder and shed who turned back and looked at me trying to decide if she wanted to eat me or just hurt me. And <laughs> and the, the, the connection I had with that animal was just powerful. And I'll never forget that. And then, uh, you know, there's just some things in my life, whether I think I can make them happen or not. And, and then they happen and it's like, you made that happen for a reason. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're really behind it and and things that you let go. It's probably because you like them just a a little bit less than whatever you've made the room for. It doesn't mean you dislike them. And then I always have this struggle of the internal dialogue. It's like, well, just by getting rid of this, these other animals or these species doesn't mean they're going away forever and that I'll never be able to work with them in the future or that other people aren't keeping them around. You know, right. I kind of have had this ignorant struggle of you can't keep everything. And it's always been like, watch me. I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I think I just need to accept that I need Apodora. I need four of them at That's least. what it is. I, I need, yeah. I need, those are staying. Popwin carpets are staying. Kribos are staying. You know, there's like some lines that as you go through your career and you, yeah, you, you get stuff and you get rid of stuff and you, you regret or you learn or you're, I'm glad you did it and it it reinforces some of these decisions and i've got lines in the sand that i can't cross anymore and mm-hmm. once you go apodora you never go back i feel like we're in such a similar spot i mean you with the apodora and me with the aspidite stuff like mm-hmm. i'm never gonna not have brettles but i have found that string that i need to pull on you know yeah. and and just i've never felt so fulfilled with my collection yeah. and so tuned in and and passionate to what i'm doing that's what that's what it's about right absolutely right you know the other thing is is i I talk to my brother every so often and he's not into to reptiles at all he has a a love and affinity and appreciation for all living things so he sees what i do with these animals and he's all stoked on it right like super like he gets it um but you know you talk to people that are outside of it and they ask like what's your goals like Mm -hmm. what do you what's the end game And, and i've been thinking about that a lot and then i every time i see scott borden post he'll put a little hashtag there that says legacy is greater than currency. And at first I thought that was kind of cheesy when I first got to meet Scott and then I got to understand him and then I got to understand carpets over the years and and what that really means. And now like it makes, makes a lot more sense. Like, you know, Eric, you're just talking about it. You're either a follower or you're going to do something, you know, that's uniquely you. Um, you can do things that other people do, but if you want to create your identity, you just got to walk your own path sort of thing. And this just, I don't know, it's too hard to ignore. I'm done talking about it. I'm, I'm ready to start doing it. You know? That's what it is. That's the Nick Mutton special. People yeah, that yeah. talk about doing shit and people that do shit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's you know, freaking it's game time. Yeah. Like Lucas, yeah. you'll, you'll relate to this, right? Yeah. I think, I think I draw so many parallels between this hobby and music, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like when you're first starting out playing music, whatever instrument you play, right? You, you, you have certain people that you look up to and you admire and you want to emulate, you know, and it's like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, uh, imitation is the, the, the biggest form right. of flattery, that whole type of thing, right? You right. know, you want to want to sound like John Mayer. I got to get right. a strat. Yeah, I gotta get a strat. I gotta get this, and like, what happens when that process is happening, right? Is that you sort of like there? There's this fork in the road where it's like you can either try to just repeat what he does, what he did, and this is like why. So for me, right, I I would 
I never learned songs from beginning to end, right? Until I went and played in a cover band. But like when I would listen to a Van Halen song or whatever it would be, it would be like, okay, what is making that song sound like this? Like what is the technique or what is the whatever that he's doing in this song? And like how how can I make that me? So by me trying to learn it the way I would learn it, not listening to somebody else tell me how it should be, and if you look at a lot of those great players, right, they would listen to records and, you know, like, you know, just sit there and listen to it, try to play it, you know, listen right. to it by ear and try to play it. And then eventually what you start to learn is you start to do things your own way. Yes. And like you, you, anybody can copy anybody with talent. Like I'm sure me or Lucas or whoever is out there that's playing guitar could pick up a guitar and copy John Mayer. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're copying somebody, but nobody's going to sound like Eric Burke or Lucas Lee. You know what I mean? Like nobody's right. going to sound like and that except us. <laughs> and maybe let me know if this rings true for you, too. But there just comes a, a point with it where you start needing to do your own yes. thing for it yes. to still feel good. Whether yes. other people like it or not, it doesn't really matter doesn't anymore. Matter. Like if yeah. you're trying to still enjoy playing. Right. There just comes a point where it's not the same to do the same in the box thing. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't fill the glass. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I had this, I had this epiphany. I think um, it was like, you know, for the longest time I would try to play like shred guitar and I could play it, you know, I could do mm -hmm. it and I could do all the, you know, Satriani and the Vi stuff and all that kind of stuff and, and get up there and just shred away. Right. But to me, it always felt like it was forced, right? Like mm -hmm. somehow I can do it, but it doesn't feel like it sounded good. And everybody would be like, oh my God, that was great. But it just didn't feel right for me, right? It was more but, performative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was more for the, and, and, and I, I always had this, I always had this like part of me that like was just a simple blues player. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, there was magic in making, you know, one note or two notes or three notes really like affect somebody in a way that, you know, what this, you know, to me as a musician, yeah, I'm listening to this person play like crazy, you know, like, you know, all over the place. And I'm like, oh my God, the technique is just amazing. But like the average person listening to that, what do they hear? They just hear, you know what yeah. I mean? And uh -huh. it's like, yeah, it's cool. And it looks cool, but it's like, I don't know. It just doesn't connect. And I saw Clapton and he's playing. I shot the sheriff and he's, it, you know, here it goes on this breakdown part and he's the drum, snare drum snap. Right. And he just plays this note. It's just like one note. And I'm like, okay, I've seen Steve Vai. I've seen Eddie Van Halen. I've seen Joe Satriani. I've seen John Percucci on and on and on all these different, you know, technical dudes and, you know, blah, blah, blah. These guitar heroes and all people that I love, but God damn it. That one note made the hair on my arm stand up. And I was like, that's it. Why am I trying to be something that I'm not when it's right in front of my face what I should be doing? Right. Right. It's because some people are meant to play it. this yeah. and some people are meant to play that. And it's not taking anything away from the shred guys. Mm -hmm. It's just saying that you have to find your own identity yep. and, and follow that that thing. And you can yep. apply that same mindset to, you know, working with with snakes uh, you know yeah um i couldn't yeah, agree I, more yeah well said more blackheads <laughs> I, I, I absolutely <laughs> recognize that that parallel yeah. for sure yeah so yeah. i don't know
Um, so yeah. yeah, man, go with what you're happy with. You know, I see you, you pop up, you like, you're like a giddy schoolgirl. As soon as you say the word pop one, either way, it's like, it's carpets or it's just pythons. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You're like, Come on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. For no. me, it's Australia. And for Lucas, it's uh, Asmodites. You know, it's like as soon as you say Asmodites, it's like, oh, my God, a blackhead. Oh, my God. Ah, oh my God. I know. <laughs> Anybody with a Western female, I'll give you my kidney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the journey along the way finding that is is insanely fun, though. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I also don't see myself not having jungles. You know what I mean? I also don't. Sure. Yeah, you know, I yeah. don't see myself right. not. It doesn't mean that you no longer love the other right. things, right? Yeah, you know, like I, yeah. I personally could never get rid of my citrus tiger female. Like that's just right. not going to happen. Like there right. are certain things that over the years, even if your identity goes other ways, these things stick with you for whatever reason, different values, mm-hmm. different. You know, like I didn't need uh, another adult female zebra, but because of the history behind it, and Owen had it, and you know, uh, that animal means something to me because of its history. Yeah. I don't know. Even if it's only here for a short time, a few years, whatever, whatever that ends up being, there's, there's an importance in my trajectory for having experience with that animal. There's importance to trying these things and experiencing these these things, even if it's not going to be like what I identify as, as a, a reptile keeper in the long run historically, or the legacy I leave behind, you know, like that's, that's where I was getting at with that point about Scott's hashtag legacy is greater than currency because ultimately you're only as good as you know, what you leave behind for your community, the people that come after you, um, you know, the impression you leave. Like I, that's why it means so much to me when people are, you know, like don't, don't drop the YouTube thing, even though I'm like, freaking hate YouTube. It's crap. Yeah. I feel like a damn hippie and I feel like a follower and all this shit. And then, <laughs> right. But they're like, no, like, I really appreciate, you know, this bit of info or whatever. And so, I don't know. It's, it's just what you leave behind. You, you know, I want, I, how cool would it be to have a line of snakes, like, named after you that people recognize 20 years down the road or whatever? Like, that, yeah. that's mind-blowing to me. That's cooler than any other thing I could, you know, potentially accomplish, even if it doesn't make me any money or whatever, like, it, sure. Yeah. It, the 100%. accomplishment, the the time put in, and the validation behind it is, is you know, it's hard work, and it's worth doing to me. Um, so. You're getting accolades for your work. You know, yeah. you've put in this work because you're passionate about whatever it is, but you're getting people paying attention to what you're doing, and you know, it's 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 validating. It's it's it's. I, I say that I've been saying this since 2011, right? You, you know, you, you, if you're passionate about a specific species or a specific uh, more for a specific line or whatever the case would be, man, don't don't fall into the thing where you have to. Oh, everybody that keeps carpets keeps this. Everybody right. that keeps mm-hmm. you know blackheads right. only keeps blackheads, and all, you know what I mean. Like, don't don't put yourself in the box. Do yeah. what you want to do. And I think part of the problem with the hobby is that you know again, it's a it's just like what I was talking about earlier with the guitar, right? You know, everybody wants to. Obviously, it's easy to go and just copy somebody and be that person, right? And you're immediately looked at as like oh okay yeah wow that's awesome man you know but like mm-hmm. it's a whole nother level to to bring your inner person out and show yourself 
Yeah, uh, you know, as opposed to just copying somebody else. So yeah. like, and the parallel that's why, is so good. Like, in, at least with guitar, you you in a lot of cases, unless you're a crazy prodigy person, you can't do your own thing until you build up the tools first. Yeah, by sure. Yeah, learning yeah. the fundamentals and copying others. Like, you have to walk the path. Yeah, you got to fall on your point. face. You got to earn your yeah. stripes. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not just gonna pick it up and know what you is. <laughs> I think that's why the the hobby has such uh, a stonewall approach to people coming in with big wallets buying their way into you know top end projects right away even if their heart is in it in the right place and everything like that it just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like they've come in and earned their stripes it seems like they they bought in right at the top and that that rubs people the wrong way it's just a little real random thought that i that i had there but like you know i think that's that's all it's all valuable uh, you have to have your experiences in order to define who you are as a keeper. Mm. That yeah, kind 100%. of thing sorts itself out on its own. It does. You it know, does. The universe has a plan. It, if it, you don't have what you need from experience and you weren't forced to earn stripes, it's gonna it's gonna come back to bite you. I don't know. I, I don't think well, anybody don't needs a gatekeep or anything like that. You know, like it'll take care of itself. <laughs> but it, it, like yeah. bringing it back to music, you don't just start right. out being an amazing guitarist. You have to learn how to suck first. Right. And be okay yeah. with sucking first. You can and sound then... like ass on a $4,000 Gibson or yeah. sound like yeah. ass on the $40 guitar from Target. Exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. And again, I'll, I'll make the parallel again, you know, again, because there's so many to me, at least in my mind, other people that don't know music are probably like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but like when you're starting out and you're playing, right, you know, this is a lot of thing like people want to automatically go and have a Boland's Python and like you yes you can have a bullens python as your first snake yes you can i mean if you have the funds and the ability to do it and you did the research and yeah that that's you can you can it can be done it's not, it's not that it's impossible or that you shouldn't do it but like get your feet wet with you know yeah. uh, keep a corn snake or a carpet or something before you sure. like you know go and jump into it and it's no different than like how i learned how to play guitar was in the shitty you know acoustic guitar that the was i could put my hand through the strings like oh, and it was like pulled away from the neck my first guitar i had 120 dollars cash to my name from doing chores and i went uh-huh. to the store and i said what can i get with this at this little right. local hole in the wall guitar shop and i got i think it was a yamaha strat oh, sure. like yamaha is yeah. not even supposed to make instruments they make yeah. like lawnmowers <laughs> and shit yeah. but i like just i got home and i looked at it and i just sobbed i had like the most like weird like regret breakdown ever because i was like what the hell is this right but it, it did its job and you know now what that was third grade so however many years later like yeah that yeah. guitar was my jumping off point to what i do with music now so well, and you yeah. have a different perspective on it and an appreciation for what yes. you learn and accomplish and you realize mm-hmm. it's not the tools it's the person behind the tools that's exactly it's these right. things you know yeah, what i mean right. this, yeah. this is what makes the music the, the yeah. instrument is just what brings yeah. it out you know exactly. and it you can you can learn different things and and that's the thing right it's all about the journey not necessarily the destination right and you're you sort of are going on this journey to sort of learn about yourself and about you know uh, you know all these different things and how you can how can i make this shitty guitar 
sound like Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix's, you know, 1969 gold top Les Paul or Strat or whatever right. it would be. And like, you know, like, and there's, and the really good people, the really, the, the, the cream of the crop, they figure it out. Yeah. And I don't care yeah. what guitar they play or what instrument they play. It doesn't make a difference. Like everybody talks about Stevie Ray Vaughan's tone and like, yeah. oh my God, his tone. It's, oh uh, my God, it's the greatest thing ever. And like, dude, I've seen him play a PV amp and, yeah. uh, you know, some stupid like Ibanez guitar. And it still sounds like Stevie exactly. Ray Vaughan. Do you know who you Joe know Pass I mean? is? Yes. Joe Pass. So my guitar teacher was a wedding musician for a long time and he played at one wedding once he would tell me the story. And uh, there was one dude in attendance that ignored all the wedding festivities, sat right in front of him and watched him the entire time. Turned out wow. to be Joe Pass. The guy said, <laughs> wow, you're pretty good. Those who don't know, that's a really famous jazz guitarist. And he yes. took my guitar teacher's gear and played a little bit, you know, and he, my teacher was just a poor, you know, starving musician at that point said it sounded just like the record you know like right. he didn't need the gear to sound like yeah. himself and i've no. worked at a really high-end guitar shop in santa cruz and some of the most expensive guitars sound like shit because yes. they're expensive because they're made yes. out of expensive shit that doesn't sound as good as the normal shit yep. <laughs> yes but anyway yeah yeah that's no, very true <laughs> when i when i grew up um as, as a kid like you know, we were all into action sports. Like we snowboarded, we wakeboarded, we skated, dirt bike, mountain bike, like anything that we could go fast, hard, down hills, whatever, crazy. That's what we did. And so there were always kids that were naturally really good at stuff or kids whose families were well off and they had the good gear to allow them to like really ascend. And I, I'll never forget my mom bought me a snowboard when I was a kid that was potentially way too big for me, but she bought it because at the time it was a good price, a good brand. And it would last me a long time because I could grow into it and use it for a while. And I remember I had that board for years and years and years to the point where the technology involved in that board had been outdated several times. And all right. my friends had new boards, totally different. And I'd look down at this thing and it like, it looked old. It looked ghetto. It looked like I was, you know, I don't know. I, you know, you, I, it, it would have been very easy for me to get down on myself, but it was the only board I had and I wanted to go snowboard and I just didn't let it slow me down. And, uh, I think I rode that thing for 12 years, like well beyond it's like, you know, yeah. technologically relevant, uh, stage and I made it work. And you just, you don't think about that stuff. If you're really having fun or going after something you want, you just, you can't let any of that get in your way and just, well, you just gotta do it. Yeah. I can even equate it to NPR, right? This this is yeah. this will be my final talk on this, right? If I would have had the approach of well, blog talk sounds like shit hmm. back in sure. 2011, we wouldn't probably be here right now. You know what I mean? Well, I I yeah. would I would guess to venture if there would even be the podcasts that are out there on Reptile sure. Pod. You know what I mean? Like yeah. who knows how it would have played out, you yeah, know? Uh, who knows? I don't I don't know. But if I would have just said, you know, ah, uh, this doesn't sound, like, yeah, of course it didn't sound like what I wanted it to sound like. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I mean, here I am a musician. Obviously, sound is one of the most important things to me. And when I hear it, it's like, but do I try to make, do I, do I comp uh, try to make the show better and get content that people want to hear that even though it sounds shitty, they're still going to listen to it because the content is that good. You know exactly. what I mean? And it's like, so, and then over time it's like, okay, 
uh, you know, you learned this, now you learn something else. Then this other piece of technology, it's like, oh, this problem is now fixed. Oh, we can now fix this, you know, and, it, and it's like the technology caught up with what the goal was. And now here we are, you know, 10 years later and what there's, I don't even know how many podcasts we're making anymore. <laughs> I can't keep track of it, but, um, but you know what I mean? So like, depending yeah. on, you can apply it to anything, man. And I think, you know, I think it's just, you gotta, you gotta do what you love, man. And and you yeah. will be the happiest that you can be if you're doing what you love and you're not, not necessarily paying to what attention to what somebody else is doing and constantly, I think that's the, that's to me what turned me away from the ball Python game, right? It's not so much the snake and it's not the awesome colors that they have, but it's like, you're always trying to catch up to be the, 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 the person and it's always like you're in this rat race and like, you know, it's just like, and, mm -hmm. and that's the thing with morphs to me, right? When I start and stop to really start to think about it and look inside of that, it's like, well, am I ever going to be on Paul Harris's level? I, I mean, I guess I could, but like if, if they have a choice between coming to me or Paul Harris, where are they going to go? I would go to Paul Harris. Like, you know what I mean? So like, I don't know. I, I just, you know, to me, it just seemed like, you know, if it's not where you're necessarily where your heart is, it doesn't mean I have to be the morph guy in order to be a carpet person. You know what right. I mean? I could still love and appreciate the morphs and I can still do some of it and all that. And it doesn't mean I have to get rid of it, but just because I don't keep Jags anymore, doesn't mean that I don't like, you know what I mean? Like all yeah. these things. And it just immediately people are like, Oh my God is what's wrong with Jags. And what's <laughs> it's like nothing to do with anything with people. Yeah. It's me. It's me. Yeah. yeah. This is me. This is what's making me happy. You do what makes you happy. Right. I'm doing what makes me happy. Yeah. I think that's why we look up to some of the legendary names that, you know, figured all these things out in the hobby before the technology was even there. The guys doing light bulbs and incubators and, you know, yeah. figuring out stuff like, I mean, Craig Trumbauer, Rico Walder, like Keith McPeak with Blood Python. Like, I mean, just that's just a, a little snip. Like there's thousands and thousands of names. Ron St. Pierre with, with monitors and the annuls that he's doing and some of the other stuff, like all the Eugene Bissett, uh, like the names go on and on and on. There's a reason why we look up to a lot of these, these folks and their names have kind of etched themselves into history and stood the test of time. It's because they were the ones who did it first for the love of what they were doing, figuring it out regardless of what hurdles came their way. And they were successful in spite right. of everything. Right. 100%. Because they stay true to themselves. That's really yes. all it is. Like if I if I'd have ignored my you know genuine pursuits, I'd have been doing you know something in some crappy town selling real estate or something, wearing a suit, working in an office, hating my life, you know, whatever. And I'd be right. miserable, and I'd have money but no time to spend it, or no real genuine personality to figure out who I am because I'm stuck following somebody else's goal instead of listening sure. to myself. And yeah. now I'm surrounded by animals that I, I love in, a, in an industry that I've put myself in and I'm doing what speaks to me and it feels good every day I wake up. You know, that's what's yeah, important. Man. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the guys in the chat, Dom and Craig and whatnot, they're talking about Canada and the UK and how IJs aren't worth anything and they're $80 fit. No one looks at them or whatever. I think part of that, I don't know. I mean, I've been banging this drum since 2000 and eight you know what i mean and like yeah it takes a long time to sort of get people to pay attention and whatever and even if they don't who cares yeah like, stick to your guns what you love yeah who 
cares? And Keep then eventually the what's going to happen? On the table. Correct. Yep. Eventually exactly. somebody's going to say, check this out. Look at yep. this, whatever. I mean, I've seen IJs like, you know, I mean, again, the they just skyrocketed, you know, yep. and like, yeah, at, at one point you could not give them away. And like yes. if people would have said back in 2008, like, dude, just breed jungles. They're just beautiful. Yeah, they're beautiful, but I'm going to make IJs just as beautiful. So watch out world, you know, and now, I mean, that's why I respect guys like Craig and stuff like that, because they, you know, he's in his comment, he's just saying that he basically owns so many different species and stuff. And it was always a chore to go into the snake room, but now having IJs, it's like, you know, it's the most rewarding thing. You know, Rob's yeah. been telling me it for years and all, and it's just like, yeah. you know, it's so true. And when yeah. you figure that out, Imagine th that's when that's when you're the happiest. So yep, agree. Absolutely. What a way to end. Unless it's blackheads, <laughs> <laughs> then you're not happy. You're just well, you are happy, but you're, you're poor. Always, you're always chasing happiness. <laughs> and you're trying to get your kidney extracted. Yes. <laughs> I'm just oh, kidding. Oh man, man. <laughs> you can do what you can do what uh, Python Pete did and sell blood and semen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ideas. Yeah, he did say in that interview. Ideas could, to ponder. Yeah. <laughs> Plasma's going at a high rate as of, uh, yeah, as of yeah. late. So yeah, yeah. There you go. Figure something out. Your body has yeah. money-making potential. Only fans, but I'm fully clothed, and I just recite Star Wars prequels quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was putting a meme or something floating around online, and I thought it was brilliant. It's like, I'm going to do the opposite of only fans. I'm going to send you dick pics until you give me money to not send you dick pics. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. It's the opposite of all the fans. You send me That's money right. to there not see Stop. Just yeah, you, you might have to spend that money on the legal fees, though. <laughs> okay, then fine. I'll send you photos of, like, yeah. hairy belly buttons or something like that until you pay me to stop. That thing when you put your thumb together so it looks like yeah, a Yeah, it looks butt. like a butt crack. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I do that all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. To, I used to do that to get people all the time, yeah. So, anyway. We Penny. will. Penny. Yeah, we will uh, We'll wrap it up with some good heartfelt uh, but very serious uh words of wisdom followed by a brief moment of shenanigan distraction and then back yes. on track um but yeah so uh we're gonna close this out owen and i did record a few more episodes of call you corner so that's coming up um cool. some cool species that we're talking about so get get on the lookout for those um don't forget to subscribe to this youtube channel if you are watching this subscribe like uh, we need to get the channel growing. We just need, uh, I think 670 more subs or something like that. No big deal. Come on guys. I believe in you. Um, there's the Teespring store, uh, NPR yeah. network under the Teespring store, Morelli Python radio, one of those two, um, yeah. all sorts of shirts from previous carpet fest mugs, you name it. Um, and then there is the Patreon. If you really want to support what Eric and Owen have built, uh, there's two tiers, the $5 buys a coffee tier, the $10 a month, uh, inland carpet tier that gets you access to a once monthly private live stream Q and a with the, uh, with the gang, everybody, all questions, everything's fair. It's about a, an hour or so. So that's a, a nice little exclusive access point until we come up with some more fun stuff for the, the next future tiers. But until then, uh, there's still ways you can support the show and what Eric and I want to build. And there's about 
10 other <laughs> podcasts. Um, <laughs> uh, Morelia Python it? Radio, Carpets and Coffee, Students of the Serpent, uh, Herp History, Carpet Cliff Notes, Field Herping Podcast, the Australian Herpetological Podcast, Humans of Herpeticulture. Uh, <laughs> There's eventually going to be a reptile fight club, apparently. Um, yeah. Uh, shoot. I said carpet cliff notes. I said students repair field. I don't know. I'm monitor podcast. Ah, the monitor keeping podcast. Sorry, Alan. <laughs> me. Um, yeah. So we've got all of that going and more to come. And uh, yeah, just stay tuned to the NPR network, total reptile world domination. And, uh, <laughs> we're coming for you. We're going to brand you all. You're all going to become part of our commune. Uh, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, nobody's listening at this point. I'm just trying to make sure people are still awake and paying attention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is that uh, that's that's all of our things, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred cool. percent. Cool. Yeah. And then for me, you can find me on Riley Jimison on YouTube or Riley's Reptiles Everywhere, and I will shut my app. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I am also on all of the things, uh, uh, Centralian Exotics, and uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I need a sandwich. Uh, <laughs> his, his sugars are low. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm on. I empty. Uh, yeah, um, I uh, Python Radio dot com is is you can find everything that you need to know about us and what we have going on there. If you want to send us uh, an email, it's info at MoreliaPythonRadio dot com. I didn't get a chance to do it in this show, but I'll, I'll have it next week. Um, uh, Carpet Python locality that we mm. we share. Um, I have a couple that are some people sent me. So if you are in Australia and you you're feeling uh, you want to share a Carpet Python locality with us, so that we can share it on the show, um, just uh, yeah, send send it over and uh, yeah, we'll get it up. Um, so nice. stay tuned for that next week. So yeah, nice. that's all I got. Sweet. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thanks for yeah, joining. Thank Good you. questions in the chat. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us and uh, we'll catch everyone next week for some more of the, the usual chit chat and banter. Morelli Mendes. That's right. All righty. <laughs> All right. Chin grease. See you guys. Bye.